Russell's Reserve Aged 10-Year Single Barrel 2002 Edition. How are you? How do you think I am, Kyle? I don't know. Doing well. You sound a little raspy tonight. I actually have a, uh, I have a, have a fun Russell bourbon story if you want me to regale you with it to kick things off here. Well, you know what? I, I won't say no. Go ahead. It's for a chance. It gives me a chance to do my Matthew McConaughey impersonation. Oh, good. Real quick. Good. Uh, so this weekend I picked up uh, Wild... T- Russell's Reserve is Thank made you. by Wild Turkey. Jimmy okay. and Eddie Russell are the uh, the master distiller and his son. Uh, Wild Turkey just came out with a new product called Long Branch, and it is in collaboration with Matt McConaughey, who is actually the creative director for Wild Turkey and like creatively directed like their marketing campaigns the last two years. Like not just a spokesman, actually involved in like the marketing direction of the company. Him and the distillers worked together on a uh, you know, a bourbon blend that they released called Long Branch. It's like thirty between thirty and forty dollars. Uh, fine wine and good spirits. Highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. All Pick right, one up all on right, Friday. All right. all right. Every time you drink it, when you're halfway through the cup, I don't. It, there's actually a warning on the label. It says there's Surgeon General's warning if you're pregnant. Yada yada yada. Oh, by the way, if you drink this, you might start talking like Matt McConaughey. So you're all right, all right, all right. Wow. But I recommend it. It's, that was that was a heck of a setup for a. Uh, I don't know. I could that maybe like for an all right, like, all like, right. Like, like like for an all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Like six and a half, seven. What's that? Maybe, yeah, yeah. Thank maybe you. you need maybe you need a couple couple uh, beverages in you. No, I've I've had a few. But um, seriously, if you're looking for a good recommendation, it's a it's light. It's on the light side, believe it or not. It's an easy drinker, but it's actually very flavorful. But for the price point, uh, Wild Turkey Long Branch, I highly recommend it. Whether you like bourbon or you're trying to get into whiskey or anything like that. Uh, it's it's a cool bottle too. Uh, it's on the shelves around. Highly recommend it. Uh, you'll enjoy it. Anyway, all right. We have uh, so can I give the rundown and then you could do a sponsor read and then we'll we'll get into it. Sure. We'll start doing rundowns. Sure. Whatever you want to do. All right. Uh, I'm just taking right back over. Uh, all right. So first well, off, it's been it's been two weeks. You do whatever you want. You come in. You uh, you run it however you want. Like to you come want. in hot. Yeah. So uh, we're going to talk about the Eagles game, obviously. Not going to spend a ton of time on it. Uh, then we're going to talk about a smorgasbord, a cornucopia of topics, things uh, people have come to know and love from this show. So we're going to talk a little bit about sports media stuff, the pivot to video news that we've talked about a lot last year uh, and how everyone is sort of backtracking on that now, uh, the Jimmy Kemsky, Al Jolson caricature. I'm kidding uh, with the flack Jimmy Kemsky is catching for his uh, read. Uh, stick figure drawing um, a little bit of Markel Fultz and then some CSN elements um, their new post game show their new my apps app uh, which has a ridiculous interface um, so yeah we'll get to all that uh, maybe kinda. a little bit of a uh, little bit of flyers at the end too who knows who knows maybe not maybe not it's possible it's maybe possible. not I'm Russ, Russ writes good flyer stories you know there we are. I know well we could talk about that part of it I'm more interested okay. in that part of it than the actual okay. flyers because they're they're aggressively mediocre um, so are the Eagles, but we're leading off with them. So all right, let's go. Let's let's have at it. All right, well, let's hear your Eagles take then, because you're. I know you're going to be more negative than I am. So no, it's k- no. I I want you. No, I want you to get all your positivity out, because I know. I you know I was listening to the rights Ricky Sanchez last week, and Spike took Mike to task about the fact that Mike is always so overly positive or is so middle of the road with a take that anything Spike says comes off as heinously negative, and I feel like that's kind of where this show might end up going. And I don't want it to go there. Clearly, you've um, never but met I, Kevin but Kincaid, I'm, the but master I'm, pragmatist. Even his hot takes were, 
good take. They just they were, they were tempered. Takes. They weren't they even were tempered. hot. They were tempered takes. They were uh, someone's like of like those Luke, 50 Luke hot takes. Yeah, lukewarm. Two yeah. of those were hot. Yeah, two of them were hot. Some were, were a little bit on the cooler side. It all all averaged out to about a lukewarm. Go ahead. I, I want to hear what you think about this because we we have a propensity now for not recording after wins. We tend to only record after losses, and uh, I, I don't think that's exactly a good thing on our part, but. Here we are after a 21-17 loss, and I have a specific thing that, that I'm upset about that I think Eagles fans are going a little bit too easy on, but I want to hear what you think about you know, how this game unfurled and, and ultimately what your takeaway from this is. I saw on Twitter that you said that you still think the Eagles are better than the Cowboys and the Redskins, so mm-hmm. um, like, ha- have at it. Let's see, let's see what you think. We got. We got, Mr. Scott. Okay. Um, I, I think it was a heinous loss. It was a heinous blown fourth quarter lead that I'm not going to lie. I nodded off very early in the fourth quarter and then sort of woke up in shock as the Panthers were beginning to come back. Um, but it was, it was a heinously blown lead. You can't, you simply can't blow a two touchdown lead in the fourth quarter at home against a conference rival, uh, not conference rival, a conference competitor who you're going to most likely be competing with playoff spots and or seeding against. I mean, they're kind of in the same bracket right now, these two teams. It's inexcusable. It's an inexcusable loss. There's no reason it should have happened. I'm not here to sugarcoat the game. Uh, it sucks. The defense collapsed. My big picture takeaway is that it doesn't really change from what we talked about a few weeks ago. I, the, the Eagles have a long way to go to, to be where they were last year. But the good news for them is um, there's really only one truly dominant team in the conference. Um, I think the Saints are really good, but I, I don't think they're great. I think the Rams are the only truly dominant team. And I think the, specifically the Eagles division is not good. The Cowboys and Redskins are not good. They played each other in a mediocre ball. The Giants absolutely stink. Like the Redskins are slightly better than the Cowboys. Uh, Cowboys played really well against the Jags last week. But the Jags showed today that turns out they're not as good as we thought. And we're going to find out next week, uh, you know, how good they really are. I don't like playing a team coming off two losses, especially when that team has familiarity. I can never say that word with playing in London. That to me is kind of a scary game, not because the Jags are that good, but because they're coming off two losses and they have, they've played in London before. Um, my point is, I think the division is mediocre. The Eagles offense has actually been pretty decent lately. I know they didn't put up a ton of points. The Panthers are not a bad team by any stretch. And oh, by the way, Carson Wentz has been like pretty much terrific um, in, in these last three or four games. I mean, 255 yards, one touchdown, one pick. 348, two touchdowns, no picks. 311, two touchdowns, no picks. Three, um, 278, three touchdowns, no picks. And then this week, uh, what was it, 302 and two touchdowns, no picks. Now, he does have he has a propensity to fumble the ball pretty much once a game. But Wentz is right where he was. And the Eagles are will continue to possess an MVP caliber quarterback. Not saying he's going to be MVP this year because there's not enough going on around him at the moment. They're going to get some running back help back. Uh, Wentz is continuing to get better and can sing, will single-handedly win them a few games, and their division sucks. He's the best quarterback in the division. I'm never going to bet against that, especially when all these teams are going to be jostling around 500 for the next month or two. So I don't think the season is a loss. I'm not like here to say they're going to go to the Super Bowl by any stretch, and things are a lot more disappointing than they were two weeks ago. But, you know, the flip side is I, I think they're in a bad division, and I think they're better than those teams and more experienced. They have the best quarterback, and, 
you know, maybe the defense starts getting some pressure on the quarterback and alleviate some of that uh, that pressure off the corners later in the games. Who knows? Okay. All right. I mean, it's my take. I will say you were, you know, Jason Peters looked a little better today, but I, I will say your Peters take, while while steeped in ridiculousness, had a nugget of truth to it uh, the last time we did this. Was it that long ago? Um, so I guess a few things. So I feel like Philadelphia sports Twitter kind of does this, this thing where like, if you throw out a, a ridiculously positive and hopeful thing, people kind of glom onto it for the entirety of a season. And, and if it doesn't work out, people don't tend to call you onto the carpet because they just say that you were doing what was in the best interest of the fans. What you're doing was, you know, trying to get the fans engaged. So I think, I think back to like, the kind of like ways that Joe Giglio in the summer would talk about how Gabe Kapler was this great manager. Um, he would talk about, you know, throwing out the Manny Machado thing about how it was a done deal. And these were all things that got fans excited, but ultimately neither of them were necessarily true. And obviously the Machado thing wasn't. And the Kapler thing is, you know, uh, subjective, depending on, you know, how somebody really viewed that. But nobody really called him onto the carpet. If you go with a negative take and people aren't ready for it, they they tend to just attack you mercilessly saying that you're an absolute moron and then when the stuff actually starts to play out it's as if nobody really wants to admit that you were right all along now the jason peters thing is one the the jason peters thing is not going to get any better he is not all of a sudden going to go back to being like 27 year old jason peters he's going to continue to be a guy and and this has played out the last few weeks every time it happens it is if if nothing else it's one fun thing that happens on twitter every time that peters comes out of the game i get multiple people tweeting at me the uh beat writer um, tweets about like Peters is out replaced by Vitae replaced by whomever. Um, my lotta was active today. That tells me that, you know, not only was it a Peters thing, it was also a worry about what might happen with Lane Johnson. Cause he came in dinged up. That comes back to a long held point. I've had that this offensive line is simply not as good as, as people expected it to be going into the year. The running backs ended up with 55 yards on the day, which is inexcusable. When I, when I've said for the last few weeks that I don't think that the running back position right now is a strong suit for the Eagles. It's something that Howie's going to have to address. People thought I was an absolute moron because they said, well, you know, you had Corey Clement. You're going to be getting back Darren Sproles. You know, Wendell Smallwoods looked good. And that's all that's all fair. But, you know, in a game where, you know, having a little bit of a, a running threat might have helped a little bit, might have taken a little bit of this burden off of Carson Wentz, you know, fine. The secondary is still awful. The linebacking core is still if there, there's still things that happen schematically that I, I don't understand. I think it, it's more on Jim Schwartz than it is on this linebacking core, but certain plays just not being made um, at that level of the defense that I, I find to be a little bit perplexing. But this is the, the number one thing that I came away with from this game. And people just seem to be so upset with it because nobody wants to to say that like the quarterback ever makes a mistake. But this final drive. Now, look, I, I'm not going to go out of my way and say that the defense played well. They certainly did not. Their collapse in the fourth quarter was inexcusable, and ultimately it was the thing that gave the Panthers the lead. But, and this is the thing that people don't want to necessarily admit, Carson Wentz is a guy that was second in MVP voting. He was arguably the best quarterback in football last year. Many had him penciled in as the MVP of the league. He's a guy that all throughout the offseason, people like to go out of their way and say is, you know, going to be one of the top quarterbacks in this game going forward. And it, it very well could be. I think Carson Wentz is a great player. But Carson Wentz, as a franchise quarterback and as somebody who this fan base needs to lean on and believe in and likes to hype up, he needs to make better decisions late in the game. And so when he drove this team down the field, part of that was a, a 40-yard-ish pass interference call that Alshon Jeffrey drew across the middle. 
I'm specifically looking at the the uh, third and two play where he went through his progressions, looked to the left, Wendell Smallwood standing by the marker. It's an easy pickup, 35-ish seconds left on the clock. If he completes that pass, which should be routine, you get a fresh set of downs, and, and you get yourself four plays with about 35 seconds left, and I believe two timeouts on the clock. What he decided to do was instead of throw out to Smallwood, he decided to throw into double coverage, which was a near interception, his second almost interception of the drive. And if we're going to go out of our way, and any fan base would do this, if we're going to go out of our way to give the quarterback all the props in the world if he leads the team down on a game-winning drive, I think it's fair to say that he didn't make a couple good decisions there. Two near interceptions and not checking down to his running back to you know eventually set this team up for a win, I think is a little bit disappointing. If if this happened in the can Sixers, I, can I happen? Yeah, because you're on a you're on one of your your. Well, I'm un- just you know there, there was one last there was one last part. Like if if Joel Embiid throws up 25 points and the Sixers lose by two, people are going to call Embiid out and say that he he probably should have hit a couple free throws or he made a boneheaded turnover late in the game. If the stick, if the the puck is on Claude Giroux's stick in a shootout, and and it's on the line for him, and he doesn't come through, people are going to call out Claude Giroux. If Reese Hoskins has a runner on second and third, and all he needs is a base hit to drive in the the game winning run, people are going to go on Sports Talk Radio and call him out. I don't think it's going to happen here with Carson Wentz, and I'm not saying that you know it's something that's necessarily warranted going forward, but the the lack of any kind of criticism being put at the at the feet of Carson Wentz after this, like I, I think, is is doing a little bit of disservice to what a Philadelphia fan typically would would be, you know, advocating for. I That's agree all. with you. I well, and I think the typical Philadelphia fan, the old school fan, would hop on that last drive and say, "You have third and two. There's no reason why you need to be throwing the ball ten plus yards. Whether this is partially Doug Peterson, partially Car- Carson Wentz, or a combo of both, you don't need a touchdown in that situation. In fact, you'd be better off getting the two yards and then getting four straight cracks at the end zone with plenty of time on the clock and two timeouts remaining. So I'm with you. He did not have an impressive final drive. There were two balls that were almost picked. I'm still not convinced. The first one wasn't intercepted. If it was called an interception on the field, I did not. I don't think there was clear evidence that it was actually touching the ground. And if it, it was wasn't, just that constant, it was, it was just pick. constant rotation. It it never really looked like it was. Constant it was rotation, but well, I'm if, saying if, if in the, in the, the slow mo, like you you could see, like typically when a guy has the ball pinned, there's at least like that split second or or long enough in slow mo where it looks like he might have it. But that the way that the ball kept rotating, like I, I got why they made that call the way that they did. I th- I think it was the right call. But sorry, I did ahead. too. But the fact that it was a is an interception on the field, and there is not crystal clear evidence that it actually touched the ground. It doesn't. He doesn't need if that ball never touches the ground. He could be juggling that thing like a juggler for a half hour and and then eventually come down with it. That's the point. Like if that it was almost if, as if the ref forgot that, that it was tip, called an interception on the field. Exactly. The way that, whether he said he didn't say that the the play has been overturned or reversed. He I said the call that. in the field is is an incomplete pass, which, I, which was I'm interesting, kind of to your point. I, I think that that part of it is maybe has been lost. And maybe um, I'm wrong here. I mean, maybe the broadcast got this wrong. I, 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 I'm it's guessing possible. they didn't. But, but I thought the same thing when he came out and said that, because if he would have said the call is reversed, I like I think the casual viewer and maybe I don't know how clear this was in the stadium. So I, I don't want to speak to it. Oh, wait. But the casual person may say, well, wait a minute. Well, reverse from what? Because it seemed like there was kind of this confusion. I didn't. They don't. They didn't show an emphatic call that I noticed. So whatever the case is, I thought it was interesting that he said that too. I think he was just trying to be very clear, which is fine. Anyway, anyway time, time out a second. It, the last two minutes, all turnovers are reviewed. 
are are every is every single completion subject or incompletion subject to review? I guess not, and that's I, probably I don't think so. Why. So that that would make you think that they ruled inter, uh, an interception. interception on the field. Yeah, yeah, and and that's probably why I think Kenny Album actually may have alluded to that, saying, "Hey, Carter you, Albert, you, it's yeah, you, who doesn't have a neck? You call it and and Charles Davis is it's god awful. Like god, he every time he thinks he's saying something astute, and I could see like Albert while he doesn't turn his head, he just turns his turns shoulders the whole body. and then his head follows rotates on 45 degree angles. slowly yeah not even um no but uh yeah i think that's a good rule and i think it's also a good rule when there's a fumble you just to call it, declare it a fumble so people keep playing and then you could always go back you can always go back and undo things you can't uh you can't like go back and replay something that should have happened after your whistle so i get why they do that whatever the case he may have thrown two. He almost threw two picks on that last drive. It was not a good drive for him, no doubt about it. Poor decision not to just try and get the two yards and get the first down. So not going to sit here. But that is not the, you know, that is not the reason you lose the game. You take a seventeen nothing lead or whatever, and and you blow it. it that's on the defense. No, and, and by the way, Jake Elliott missing a field goal. Uh, now he was kicking into the wind. God knows if there's a little gust there, that definitely could have impacted it. That winds up costing them the game. Um, well, maybe he came not. into the game twenty eighth in accuracy in uh in in made field goals. I think it was at seventy seven percent coming into the game, and missed that one. And yeah, like it it doesn't seem like it should be much at the time. And and in our Slack chat, Phil is always the one who, you know, points out whenever Elliot misses an extra point or misses a field goal, and and you know likes to rail on it. But like he was right in this case. It it changes the calculus for the entire game. Um, for Carolina going four touchdowns, going four field goals, and and obviously with the scoreline the way that it was. Um, those three points certainly come back to help you. Carson doesn't have to check down, uh, you know, on third and two. He can just sure. set Jake Elliott up for what was probably a difficult field goal in conditions. But yeah, it certainly doesn't help. Uh, I have a buddy who, it, like, the first time he missed that kick in week one, has been texting me. He's like, "Kickers go cold quick." I'm telling you, this guy's not that good. He was playing above his weight, and every time he kicks the ball, every time I get a text from him. So when he missed that, I was here watching the game with my dad, and I said, "Here it comes from Fran," and then it was tick tick. Boom, right on right on cue uh so he I, uh, some people are down on him um i think he's Which, he shows remarkable stones on the big kicks and then it's the this year it's been the kind of more inconsequential ones that have, have given us pause but it's not as if there are that many good kickers out there right now though so like exactly. that, that i think that's like the the counter justin to this. Like, fucking tucker you, missed you the, say, the game tying extra point today i mean exactly like you could happens. say that you could say that elliot isn't a great kicker or maybe he's hitting a sophomore slump of sorts and that's fine but like if you think about who's actually out there it's it's not much like dan bailey got signed by the vikings right he was probably the kicker available as a free agent um it's just not something that's that's really available right now and 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 I look don't at, know. You don't, look you don't at making Mason Crosby and his struggles, and he's a career yeah. guy. I mean, yeah. it, it's a yeah, the Vikings I mean, have gone through have three kickers this year, and and, and all of can, them have been awful. So, I, I mean, what's know, your, man? I it's mean, been a bad year Cody for Park. kickers. And we had Cody. It has, and we had Cody Parker here, and he hocked one up. Alex uh, Henry with, last week uh, for the Bears. Alex Henry, yeah. I mean, so it's fine. Uh, Caleb Sturgis. I mean, look, Elliot. Elliot was great under pressure, and I'll, you know, I'll I'll take that over a guy who may miss an inconsequential kick if that guy doesn't completely buckle. And when we need him to come through, he does. So uh, that counts for at least something. Anyway, Carson Wentz. I, I agree with you on your point there, but the it's worth noting that through five games this year, uh, his completion percentage is over seventy percent. Okay? He's been awesome. His He's averaging 7.7 yards. All these are career highs, what I'm about to name. Uh, over 70%, 1,000 
uh, which is a full 10 percentage points higher or 10 basis points higher than last year. He's averaging 300 yards per game, 50 points higher than last year. He's got 10 touchdowns to one interception, and he's got 19, this can't even be right, 19 passes in five games of 20 or more yards. Now, the problem is he's been sacked a little bit higher. Uh, He's been sacked 17 times in five games compared to 28 times in 13 games last year. So to your point about the line, that's got to be corrected. And his quarterback rating is 108.1. So like the last thing that is a problem with this team is Carson Wentz. So I, I get why you can critique him for the last drive and say, yeah, it wasn't the best. Like I, I'm not ready to put this game on Carson Wentz's shoulders at all. He was fine. The ball, yeah, I don't he threw re- a couple really passes quick. to Alshon Jeffrey that looked like they were going to sail. Uh, and I don't know if it was just kind of the way the wind took them. Both of those Could were excellent throws and catches by Jeffrey. Yep. But the ball did look like it was sort of squirting up from Wentz's arm a little bit more than it normally does. Um, but that may have just been a wind thing, or it, it may have just been like he had a little hitch today, I felt like. But still, I'll take the hitch in 300 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah. Um, I, I just uh, want to be really clear about something really quick, because I don't want the nuance of what I'm saying to be to be lost or misconstrued. Like last year when I said that the problem with Ben Simmons shooting is his lack of willingness to shoot, which, by the way, is still a problem. Um, it was taken as like, well, why do you expect him to be a good shooter? It's like it was never about him being a good shooter. It's just him being willing to shoot. Same thing with Fultz now. Um, th- I'm not saying that this game is all Carson Wentz's fault. It was clearly the defense that blew the game. It's just like, look, if you're a New England fan, you expect Tom Brady to do that. Now, obviously, he's one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest. Aaron Rodgers, same kind of same kind of deal, right? Ben Roethlisberger's done it plenty of times. Uh, I don't know. I think Philip Rivers could probably do something like that. There are guys in this league who I think their team could could feasibly count on to lead their team. Philip the Rivers field. would have been picked on that first play and walked off the field kicking and screaming, slamming his helmet with his face all red. That's possible. Philip Rivers blows. He's good in fantasy. He's, like the most, he's so he, good in fantasy. He is so it's good in so, fantasy because his teams actually losing. watch him play games, and they, yeah, I'm telling you, man, that guy's not a winner. Like he's just he's not. Of just certain he's not. guys that are not winners. Yeah, no, he's not. Um, he's just fiery. All right, so I mean, so let's. How are you feeling about the game next week? I'm going to look up the line while, while I don't like it. Some I, inanity. If if you remember back before we started this season, uh, I, I said that I thought in the first four games because I thought Foles would start four. I said like one and three was totally feasible. It wouldn't be the end of the world. And I and then like I was worried about what that could mean because the Vikings would come in. I thought the Vikings would be a tough matchup. Well, they were. You would beat the Giants, which you did. And I thought the Panthers game would be kind of tough. And I said, like, I don't like Thursday games. Thursday games upset me. They're always dirty. They they never really seem to put the essence of, of what a good team is on full display. It tends to be guys. It's like the battle of attrition of, you know, who exactly has the healthier team. Um, th- this Jaguars game is, is absolutely frightening. Now, the Jags today benched Blake Bortles, which is, uh, you know, not ideal, uh, not normally good. But the Jaguars have experience playing in London. They know what the preparation for that game looks like. They know what the travel aspect of that looks like. And I I don't like this matchup for the Eagles going in. Now, Bortles is somebody that, that they should be able to absolutely crush, um, assuming they go back to Bortles. I, I think they will. I don't know why you would get away from the guy. I know that they haven't had the greatest start to a season, but like to turn on him after making the AFC Championship game last year doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I, I don't necessarily like the matchup. I think there's a chance that the Eagles go out and maybe they have a good game. Like I, I don't think this Jaguars team is as good or as talented as, as they were last year, similar to how I feel about the Eagles and even the Vikings to some extent. So I, I don't know. It, it's, it's a total toss-up. The Jags have that preparation aspect in their back pocket. 
but you know ultimately it's it's a different group of guys and every year you, you never know how teams are going to react until you've seen them we haven't seen the eagles play a london game so no one really knows i think it's it's about as close of a toss-up i guess i'd probably give the jags just a slight edge just because of preparation but you know it doesn't mean i think they're a better team so right now um, at, at FanDuel, uh, the Eagles are minus three and a half Jags. And at Sugar House, DraftKings, and 888, uh, the Eagles are minus three. So the three-point favorites uh, in a neutral site. So I, I actually feel pretty good about that line. I thought it would be a little bit closer to a toss-up. Um, I, I agree with you. I think the Jags, by virtue of playing over there a lot, have a little bit of a little bit of a built-in advantage. Um, you know, they, they won – Holy shit! It was forty-four to seven last year against the Ravens. Um, it was thirty to twenty-seven against Colts a couple years before that. Thirty-four to thirty-one against the Bills the year before. So you know they play well over there. And yeah, you get different guys, but there's also a lot of return guys, a lot of people in the organization. So you just don't know. This is kind of like a Thursday night game in a way. It's you know you're removing whenever you take uh, the natural element out of something you are, it's it's an automatic equalizer, okay? So if you were to take an NBA team and put them against a high school basketball team on a regular NBA court, well, you'd say, okay, well, the NBA team's going to win by 58, right? Well, if, now if you were to take that team, put them against a high school basketball team, uh, and they're all on ice skates playing basketball, right? Now, all of a sudden, you know, that result is maybe a little bit more up in the air, right? What yeah. if the high school team, half those guys play hockey? So, that's a crazy example, but yeah, you go to London, the whole scene changes. Um, you can't really rely on anything, regardless of who they are playing. So a uh, little bit of a scary game. Don't like the fact that Jags are coming off two straight losses, uh, but the Eagles themselves are coming off a pretty bitter loss, so I don't think that really matters. I feel bad for um, J.H.I. That was supposed to be his homecoming. That was the thing that he was looking forward to. I'm sure the team had plenty of marketing centered around him, and and with him being out for the season, I, I that that was like the thing. I, I know that there's like the on the field aspect of this, the on field component. And of course, people were disappointed when he got hurt. I felt bad for him as a person that like, you know, you, you live your whole career with the hope that like maybe someday you'll get to play in front of your hometown team. And it, it was there for them. They got selected after winning the Super Bowl and he doesn't get to play. It kind of sucks. Um, r- really quick before we move on off the Eagles. I don't want to go sports talk radio here, but I I think this Jags game is about as as big of a must win as as could be. It it's the the thing that could like absolutely crush you going into a bye week if you lose. It gives you a little bit of momentum going into the bye if you win. And when you look at who they play coming out of that bye, they've got the Cowboys at home, which I don't you know despite how you feel about the Cowboys, I don't think is a must is is a um is like a, a walk in the park. Stink. Yeah, wait Stink. until they wait until they beat the Eagles, I guess at some point. And then then I guess we'll have to come and revisit this. But like I think typically every year you can you can guess that Dallas and Philly are going to split that series. I would think that there's you know, the Eagles should win at home against the Cowboys. Feels like that that when they split that second the second win is almost always meaningless because they usually play so late in the season. Yeah, I always feel like they play better in Dallas and Dallas plays better in Philly for whatever reason. After that, you got the Saints who are a strong team. You've got the Giants who are a total train wreck. The Redskins you go back to Cowboys, <laughs> the freaking Rams, the Rams. Oh, God. And the Texans who, after losing three straight to start the year, now four and three and with the Redskins like there is a murderer's row of games in here. If you're able to take this game against Jacksonville, get yourselves healthy, and hopefully, and what I'm what I'm really kind of tying this whole season onto is Howie Roseman making a move or two to kind of solidify some of these areas. You're not going to get a, a high-quality offensive lineman, I'm guessing. You might be able to get some kind of, of backup running back to try to help that attack. Maybe you're able to get some secondary help. I'm hoping that they're able to, to make a trade or two, get those guys in before the bye week, 
get them acclimated to the system and, and maybe use those reinforcements going forward to, to get them set for the second half of the season. But you can't lose this game against Jacksonville. It, it puts you back. I think it puts you back a lot. Obviously they're not a conference opponent. So that, that tiebreaker doesn't hurt you, but you certainly don't want to fall to three and five going into the bye. It's just the optics of that are bad. And, and the message in the locker room certainly, you know, might start to fall on deaf ears. You don't know what that that team is like in the locker room. You've got to think they're tough, they're strong, whatever. But all right, now you're getting like, radio. I'm, you're getting yeah, radio. Saying, I, you're getting I wanna, Eagles I wanna, locker room. No, I'm just saying. I, no, no, no. I'm, right. I, I'm just saying. Let's like, move on. I I hope I hope they're able to pull that one out. I still think it's going to come down in division. You lose it to Jags. It, it, it's going to come down there to division games this year, and I just think they're the best team in the division. Okay. Uh, okay. Let's um, let's. See. Why don't you do a sponsor read? Yeah, I love sponsors. Tell me about Trop. Tell me about play, uh, Tropicana Sports. Uh, you know what? Awesome. I'd love to tell you about Tropicana Sports, Kyle. Tropicana Sports is uh, one of the the famed sponsors here uh, on the Crossing Broadcast, and of course, you've seen their banner ads all over CrossingBroad.com. Uh, I'm going to give you a, a, a little idea here, people, of things that you can do. So if you go on to any of the banner ads on tro- on uh, CrossingBroad.com, click on a Tropicana Sports um, banner ad. It'll lead you to a link that's set up with some daily pick'em. Uh, I, I did a post last week. They were doing NBA daily uh, pick five games. They were also doing some for the uh, NLCS. And it was, it was things like, you know, pick the result through five innings, uh, a lead for either team or a tie. Um, all kinds of stuff like that. I'm looking at what tomorrow, what Monday's contest will include. There's a daily NBA pick five. Uh, there's also a Monday night football kickoff. So for the NBA thing, there's five games that you pick. They give you the uh, the point spread odds, and and that's it. You pick five. If you get all five correct, you get entered to win a prize. It could be, uh, I'm just going to double check the specifics on this one, but there have been vouchers for meals. Let me see if I can find this here. Uh, it's usually meal vouchers. It could be a hotel room. They've given away in the past an oceanfront suite at the Tropicana Atlantic City Resort. So those are all things that you can check out on the site. Just go on to CrossingBroad.com, click a Tropicana Sports banner ad, enter to win. You don't need to release. I don't think you need to set up any kind of account. You don't need to put money in. It's not gambling, but it does get you some practice if you want to get to learn what it's like to bet against a point spread. So uh, go on to the site, click on any of the banner ads, and you'll be good to go. Can I tell you about my NBA lock of the year? The game has already started, and I don't know what the score is. Okay. Um, excuse me, I'm eating a raisin bread. Uh, uh, so Rockets old. at Clippers so tonight. Old. Rockets have the big emotional win at the Staples Center. There's the fight last night, all that. They have to, they're in the same hotel room. They have to come back tonight again in the Staples Center, now playing the Clippers. I'm always fascinated by two teams in the same building. Mm-hmm. They're going to be in the exact same arena, and they're going to walk in, and that place was a cauldron. It was popping last night. Dodgers going to the World Series, LeBron's first game, L.A. Saturday night, and now they're going to walk in on a Sunday night against the Clippers, and that building is going to be like you're going to hear the feet screeching and the ball bouncing, and it's such an unbelievable letdown game uh, that I have. Uh, I certainly do have the Rockets um, – or the Clippers minus one and a half. That's my lock no. of the year. That's my theory. <laughs> no, God, super. Oh God, no, Russ. That is no. a letdown. It's not only is it coming off no, an I know emotional I know win on the road. I know it's a letdown. It's, but it's they, an emotional win on the road, and then you got to go back in the same building, and the, the atmosphere. Yeah, is but going there's to be there's still animosity. Shit. No, no, no. Go back to last year. There's still animosity between the Rockets and the Clippers. Now, a lot of that had to do with Chris Paul, who's been suspended, I believe, three games by the NBA. He's going to lose just under half a million dollars. Clips are up five his, after one, by the for way. For his uh, role in the fight. If you remember, there was the fracas in the uh, locker room last year where a few of the... I, I a few, don't... A few, I do recall yes, the fracas, of, however. The fracas. Uh, there, 
uh, it was Chris Paul, I believe Trevor Reza, and was it Clint Capella? They went into uh, the they went like down a back service corridor to go into the uh, the Clippers locker room and cause mayhem. Now, obviously, some of those guys are out. Austin Rivers is now with Washington. Chris Paul suspended, so he won't be able to to uh, get involved in any shenanigans. But there was some bad blood between these teams last year. I I, I agree that there's probably not going to be as many people there. The atmosphere not, might not be the same, but I think that kind of bad blood does spill over from season to season. So um, I, I would actually... Clips are up five after one. So I, I don't care. So. Why do I care? The, the Orlando Magic played the Sixers down to the wire last night. Do we really think that they're as good as the Sixers? No, of course we don't. I don't care if the Clippers are up by five points. The Rockets, by the way, I believe it was uh, DraftKings and FanDuel had their win, their their over-under on their win set at 54.5. I took the over by a lot. I can't believe the disrespect that the Rockets are getting this season. Uh, sure, they lost Trevor Reza, who was minus 47 in his game last night for the Phoenix Suns. And, you know, sure, they've lost a couple other guys, but uh, you, add, you add Carmelo, who's one of the best ISO players in the game, who I, I think is obviously he's on he's on the downturn of his career, but he's certainly not a bad weapon off the bench. They still have Tucker. They still have Gordon. They're they're a good team. And they still have Chris right. Paul and James Harden, two of the best players in the Western Conference. I don't know. Good, I don't know good how teams this still lose games for us. They do. Like, good but teams like, lose but for them to not happens. finish with like 50, like more than 54 and a half wins, that's that seems nonsensical to me. I'm you would saying. be like the worst better. Like your theory is, well, they're a better team. There's no chance they lose this game. So of course take. No, it's that. not that. I, I gave you even why I think why I think the Rockets. I, know, I told you why the why the Rockets are going to be you know more motivated than you think they will be. I think you and right. I should actually engage in a friendly heads up bet on this. I game. don't think you understand the lines. Well, I already bet on it. I don't, literally, I don't I need to understand it. lines for this game. I know that the Rockets are going to win outright. No, but you, when you talk about betting, you're like, oh, well, this team's going to be good. So, of course, they're gonna, like, you, I don't think you take the line into consideration. Like, yes, they might win the game, but they might not win by three and a half. Anyway. Well, you said it's by it's a one and a half spread, right? I'm just talking in general. Well, that's not fine. this game in particular. When you wrote that piece the other day, like, your piece was very well written, but you're like, well, I can't see how they're going to they're gonna be a really good team. Well, yes, that's why Vegas set the over-under at 54 and a half. Uh, it's, anyway. That's sacrilege. When you look at some Let's, of the, the over-under set for other teams. We'll see. Okay. Russ knows more than Vegas. All right. Let's get into some media stuff. Um, we want to pivot to – actually, we want to pivot to video. This is a quick thing, and then we're going to hop into Jimmy Kemsky. Um, there was a story last week, I believe it was the Wall Street Journal, uh, broke a story uh, where Facebook had basically – this has a sports tie-in, so bear with me for a second. Facebook had been inflating the video watch numbers to their publishers. So if I were to post a video on the Crossing Broad page or a Facebook Live – uh, the numbers of those video views were being inflated, leading people to think that more people were watching than actually were, or they were using some very cherry-picked metrics, like the peak number of concurrent viewers, which really means nothing in the aggregate. Um, you know, as an example on Crossing Broad, if we post a really clickbaity type headline, uh, we'll get a lot of readers right away, and then it quickly drops off after the kind of social media pop. But if we post a really good story with a really good headline, it'll get a big pop, and that pop will stay. So anyway, Facebook was kind of massaging these numbers. I think we kind of knew this, but last week it came out that they may have been doing it intentionally or intentionally misleading publishers. The nut of this is is that if you recall last summer uh, with Adam and we did this show, we talked a lot about all the sports media companies pivoting to video and how Fox Sports particularly did away with the written word on their website. Uh, and by the way, Bleacher Report has more or less done that, and they've kind of made Adam the center of this, by the way. But if you go to their website now, it's almost just a stream of embedded tweets. I, I thought I was like looking at the wrong page the other day, but they've 
they still have written content, but it's like a lot of their own video. They do a lot of social video and then it's a lot of embedded tweets. So all these media companies have kind of done this. The reason, according to some, and Awful Announcing wrote about this and others, is that, okay, well, they Facebook was pumping up these video views, so media companies thought they were doing so well in video, so they fired all their writers and switched completely to video, which is partially true, and we sort of laughed at them all going to video. Um, the, de- the, the thing that I think is misinterpreted by a lot of people here is that that pivot to video had less to do with Facebook necessarily and more to do with publishers realizing that when you get those autoplay video ads on NBC Sports Philly and all these other sites, that ad pays like five times as much as like all the other banner ads you might see on a site around the written word. That's why they do video. That's why everything has autoplay video because the ad that shows up before the video, even if you don't want to watch it for now, and, and this is hurting the ad industry, it's hurting the publisher industry, you know, those companies are still paying for that, even though no one's watching it. And that will eventually stop. And that's what happened with the written word. But that is why all these companies switched to video, not necessarily because Facebook was inflating uh, their views. But uh, I don't know, that was a big story last week. Do you have any thoughts on this, Russ? No, I don't. Rather than me just talking. No, I, I, <laughs> I really don't. I mean, we, we knew that the pivot to video was was going to be controversial. We knew that it was going to adversely affect at least Fox Sports. Uh, Ken Rosenthal, was it? I think it was a month, maybe a month and a half after FoxSports.com went to almost video exclusive, Rosenthal started writing for The Athletic, which I thought was one of the more embarrassing things to happen to a Fox brand. You lose arguably your most notable baseball guy uh, to a, a, you know, what's essentially a competitor online um, to go write when you're paying him to go do what exactly to be an inside scoop guy to be somebody who breaks news on social media and to be a guy who's like down in the dugout for baseball games like you're you're paying him for that role unless he took a huge pay cut to not provide the written word on your site i i don't know i mean it worked out for rosenthal pretty well i mean he's essentially collecting a double paycheck at that point i'm assuming but yeah it never made sense and and look i mean I think to some extent I understood why Fox Sports went with the um, – I'm trying to think where when it was that we had this conversation. But they, they went from saying like the 10 ways the Eagles need to get better to like targeting it around – or like writing the headline around a personality where it would be like Colin Coward's 10 ways the Eagles can get better instead of it being like why did the Brewers lose game seven. It's like Jason Whitlock explains why the Brewers lost game seven. You know what I mean? And like that makes sense for – the purposes of, of trying to get your biggest names out there and, and push clicks to that content. But when you go to a web page and it's all video and there's nothing to read and sometimes you just want to read something that's better than like a two-minute audio clip of one of their, their guys bloviating, you know, I, I, I don't think as somebody who might be an educated reader or somebody who wants to go on and actually get some kind of in-depth analysis, I think like most people took foxsports.com out of their bookmarks if it was already there. And they've gone and they found the written word elsewhere. So none of this is entirely I, surprising. I, I just like the, the Facebook thing, like Facebook's found, found themselves embroiled in so many scandals over the yeah. last year that, I mean, I, I can tell you that there are not many high school age kids or even college age kids who are, you know, trying to get themselves set up on the social network. You know, they're, the, they're not going to Facebook. As a matter of fact, a lot of them are even shying away from Twitter now. Like the the social media landscape continues to change. And right. But where are they going? Answer answer that question. 
Instagram. If it's not, I mean, they go to Instagram, which is who owns, which is, who owns which is, Instagram, which is all video based. Like I get that. And I, who I, owns Instagram? Facebook. By the way, it's not all video based. It's literally Facebook, picture Facebook does. and video, but picture yes, and video. Facebook well, so uh, you ask me, what I think what they're going to. So no, no, I know, I get you, and I, that was going to be my point. I, two things. Um, I think that. Uh, there, there's problems on both sides of this argument about sports media and the pivot of the video and this Facebook overblown thing. On the Facebook thing, you're right. I mean, a lot of to the enough scandals to the point of where like this is a disingenuous company. You know, people like to wring their hands about you know big tech and all this and these companies. You know, companies make missteps all the time. But the reason I tend to defend Apple in most of these regards is because they typically don't lie. Like you know, when there's a scandal, they typically don't come out and lie. Like they genuinely value privacy. This isn't an Apple-Google thing. I think Google tries to do a good job here too. Apple is the best at it. And most people would agree with that in terms of privacy and all of that stuff, okay? Not saying they don't make missteps, but they, when they have a controversy, they explain themselves and they, they tell the truth. Whether or not you agree with them is a different story. Facebook, though, it seems like off, has obfuscated this truth in a number of things. Uh, you know, certainly with the whole... Um, uh, the Cambridge Analytica thing with the video views, uh, you know, just things along the way. Like they're just sort of a disingenuous company chasing page views. I mean, there's like literal genocides in third world countries where Facebook is like their only portal to the internet, like America Online used to be for us. And they sort of throw their hands up like, yeah, you know, there'll be stumbling blocks. We have to figure it out. Not realizing the impact of their own product or not caring about it. Um, You know, so long story short is the video thing, for sports, I think is weird because it's not about people watching videos or reading. It's about what platform they're on and what situation you're in. So like when Fox switches all to video, right? People who are going to a website, a lot of those people, I just tell you from looking at our traffic, you're at work, like you're killing time at work. They're people with office jobs who are sitting on their computer all day and they're hopping around from websites when they have a moment or when they're just killing time, right? And, you know, traffic on the internet peaks between nine and five. And then social, the social networks are different because those things are kind of evening and weekend things when people have more free time, when they're on their phone a lot, when they're out and about. So it's a different experience. So when you type in Fox Sports, you're probably not on your phone, okay? You're sitting at a computer at your desk. And when you go there, you, a lot of times you can't watch video in these situations. And if you are on your phone, you might be in a situation where you can't watch video. So all of these publishers, like you hear video is successful in one thing, so they're like, well, must work here. The thing is, I'm not even sure that they're making a content choice. I think they're just trying to get the ad revenue. But to your point about Fox, like, okay, well, people like watching Jason Whitlock's hot take or Colin Coward's hot take on TV, so this must translate well to a web page. The fact of the matter is, TV's kind of a passive experience nowadays, and you put something like that on, you come in the room, and someone's saying something ridiculous, and you're kind of glued into it. But it's not the sort of thing when you see it on a web page, you're like, oh yes, I need to see this hot take. It's a different experience, and it's the same reason why people who choose a podcast, like if I want to listen to a podcast about bourbon, because I like it, I'm making a choice that I want to listen to this very specific topic. Whereas with the radio, I might get on the car and put on 97.5, because I'm going to be in the car for 10 minutes. I don't feel like searching for a particular podcast and I know I could just put it on and kind of do a cross section. Not enough media outlets write for or produce content for the specific like platform that it's on. You know, so like Fox Sports, write on the website, put your videos on social media, like 
to your point, people do watch video on Facebook and Instagram. So this whole Facebook video thing, while them inflating the views is like, um, you know, shitty, people watch videos on Facebook. Facebook advertising works also partly because Facebook advertising reaches Instagram and that data is, is very well connected. So you could very well target people on Instagram. People watch videos on those social networks and on Twitter and they read on Twitter and they look at pictures. So it's just like you have to create for the platform, not try and do what works on one platform across everything. And I think the thing with, with publishers is like, now they're all gonna go back and say, oh, Facebook inflated their views, so we're not gonna do video anymore. We're gonna go back to the written word. And then they're gonna try and put like pictures of text on Facebook or you know links to articles on Facebook, where if you have a good way to monetize it, like Barstool's strategy is, is genius because what they do on Facebook is different than what they do in their podcast and what they do on their website. You know, when they post something on Facebook, it's a video. It might be a freaking cooking video f- sponsored by Frank's Red Hot or a pizza video that now has a sponsorship and an app. And like they do stuff for individual platforms rather than just trying to take what works on one and spread it across all of them. So I think you're going to see all these media companies come out and say, oh, look, video sucks on Facebook because they lied and the numbers weren't really weren't that high. And then they're going to get away from it and they're going to try and do things on Facebook that don't actually work. Uh, when video actually does, like when you sit through Instagram stories, like you're, I'm hoping to see video. I don't want to see pictures. So just different viewing experiences. I don't know why I'm so fired up on this issue, but you watch how many idiot publications point to this and then like completely reverse course and never do video again. Promise they were doing video wrong in the first place. Boom. There you go. <laughs> Uh, Jimmy Kemsky. Whoa, hold on. Before we get to Jimmy Kemsky, we should hear about yeah. our, our other sponsor, Kyle. Mm. Do you want to handle that or you want me to do it? Uh, you can do it. Please don't tell oh. me they produce video on their Absol- website. Absolutely. Well, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if they do. I'm, I'm pretty sure they don't. Of course, that would be the uh, number one propane provider in the entire United States of America. That would be Amerigas, the nation's number one propane provider found locally. And they should do at, video. They should just Home do slow-mo videos of, of hot hot thick propane the igniter, tanks the igniter, lighting igniter, up a grill. the igniter lighting slow-mo ignition boom the sizzle boom. on the steak okay got it uh so amerigas the nation's number one propane provider found locally at home depot and 7-eleven and at thousands of locations across this fine nation uh, we will be I, I believe running some kind of a contest in the upcoming month um, last month's uh, giveaway of the grill for $499. That one is closed. I believe a winner has been selected, so keep your eyes peeled for that announcement. Uh, in the meantime, go out, make sure you go to Home Depot 7-Eleven, pick up a propane, Amerig- or a propane tank courtesy of Amerigas, and if you don't, you're just not doing it right. If you're picking up some other brand, it's just not the same. Amerigas will give you the best, the best propane in the entire world, and you can uh, feel confident Growing out and grilling your your chicken, perhaps your steak. If you're into grilling shrimp on the Barbie, have at it. Thanks again to our friends at Amerigas. Or if you're like Russ, you could just put the steak on top of a charcoal grill on top of the chimney and drop it on someone's deck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. S- side note, Instagram.com backslash crossing broad, where video is welcome forward still slash. at Instagram forward slash uh, crossing broad i have these stories saved from our grilling night it's still uh hashtag it's, blessed it's a lot of fun hashtag blessed. Blessed. um i was really hung over the next morning that was uh that was a rough one you had that one beer one. look at you <laughs> we had a lot the, the the trip to phoenixville bluebird distillery and then out to the bar after that for more was was not why i have a recommendation for you for the next time we go to phoenixville there's a yeah there's a brewery called root down 
and it is it is a very cool place. They've got I think at least fifteen microbrews in the town. Root Downs is really cool. They've got it's like I guess it used to be an old root beer place. And you know I really got, can't drink got, beer anymore, right? Yeah, that's fine. They have uh, really good food, and then there's like a cool spot in the back, good place to uh, go play some cornhole and some old arcade games. Anyway. Not because, I'm a, of, a puss. Not because I'm a giant puss, by the way, because I get uh, like 50-50 shot of a screaming migraine. That's why you take an Excedrin Hence, beforehand or after. Ah, that's a bad. Yeah, it's a bad pra- I've I've tr- I've done that. I've been like, you know what? I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a this heavy IPA at eight o'clock tonight and then go that's to bed stupid. and like that's dumb. I, no, but you like you deserve a migraine if, for that. No, but that's the thing. If I have it like the later at night, I have a of a heavier and the heavier the beer, the more chance I have of getting a migraine. I'm talking like half a beer will give me a migraine. Um, but I have done the. I'm going to just take an Advil before I have this. That's not good for your stomach or long. It's you, not good you for your liver. Yeah. You can't do that long term. Yeah. Um, hence the hence the whiskey. Well, switch. with two kids and a wife at home, I'm pretty sure you're not going out and doing it all that often. So once I can't imagine is really that bad. But you know whatever. No, but I like no. I'm talking just at home. Like if I'm sitting watching a game and we're to have a beer, like it. It seems that I'm more likely to get it if it's at night and it's like I don't eat anything after it and go to bed. And it's not – this isn't a hangover. I'm talking like half a beer will give me – three sips of a beer could give me a migraine. It's just a trigger, I think. That is um, absolutely outrageous. But not as yeah. outrageous as the controversy surrounding Philly Voices' Jimmy Kemsky, who put out a stick figure picture of Eric Reed of the Carolina Panthers and has since been declared a racist by both Eric Reed and non-directly by Bomani Jones. Your thoughts? So if you haven't been following this, Russ pretty much described it. Jimmy Kemsky, as you know, does stick figures. Did a stick figure of Eric Reed looking all freaked out uh, from before the game with his ridiculous thing with Malcolm Jenkins and then calling Malcolm Jenkins out uh, as essentially an Uncle Tom after the game and a sellout. A neo-colonialist. Uh, a neo-colonialist. You know, look, I, I, don't, I obviously don't know what the black community at large thinks of Malcolm Jenkins. But I find it really disingenuous, unless you know something ver- personally about the guy that in- could convey this opinion of him. You know, someone who is out there, you know, being a role model on and off the field. And my sense is, is that a lot of guys like Eric Reed, because white people like what Malcolm Jenkins is doing, have a problem with him. And, you know, he... and claim that he gives off that Uncle Tom vibes and the first player to do this. I think it's really disingenuous when you have a guy who's actually putting his money where his mouth is, uh, putting his time and commitment, you know, taking a train after a night game last year to Harrisburg uh, to t- actually talk through these issues without a lot of press, by the way. Um, I find that, you know, really, really shitty. Anyway, so Eric Reed, so Jimmy Kemsky draws this picture of Eric Reed. And it's ridiculous, as most of the pictures Kemsky draws are. And most of them are completely over the top and occasionally borderline offensive or or absurd. And the one he drew of Reed was, I will say, a mistake in putting it out there. This day and age, you can't put a picture out there where, if you haven't seen it, you could go on Twitter and search uh, Jimmy Kemsky. I don't know if we're going to even do a post on this. Um, you know, he, he kind of exaggerated his dreads. He gave him bug eyes and he gave him like a red mouth. Um, he was he was trying to you know I guess mimic his anger 
and it certainly looks like it could be something from a time gone by, a caricature of a black person. And uh, it was a bad thing to tweet. And in this day and age, if nothing else, you have to think, maybe this one I should not hit the publish button on. Jimmy hit publish, he deleted it, and naturally he's, he's getting all the racist backlash by people who have no idea that he draws stick figures literally every day of football players, making them look ridiculous, white, black, green, and blue. Um and now he's being called out, of course, by Bomani Jones. And then there's a black reporter uh, who covers the the Panthers, um, the Panthers who, who showed it to Eric Reed, with, who took issue apparently in the uh, in the press box about it. And Kemsky had actually tweeted at him that like you didn't want to discuss this at all uh, when we were up there together, but yet you like you brought it to his attention. I'm still around for another hour if you want to talk about it. Saw that uh, it was about probably two hours ago. Um, yep. So I, I I don't know, man. Like I, I can now say from being in media scrums and and being involved in in certain things, it's it's interesting how somebody who's looking to get a headline or somebody who's looking to get their their narrative across or get you know some eyes, get some following, uh, get themselves in front of a camera and and do something like that. I mean, I I guess on one hand, it's it's almost commendable that this guy caught on to it and presented it to Reed. He's now, his video is is all over social media. There are people who want to know who this guy was that presented it to Reed. He's he's probably being commended for doing it. So on one hand, like, I can see it, and on the other, I'm like, I don't know. I'm not gonna, yeah. I, don't, I don't really have a stance on this, except to say, when I saw it, I thought it was a poor choice, and when you get people who are pretty level-headed saying to you in your replies, man, I'm a big fan of the stuff that you do, but I really don't think this is a good idea for you to put out, and then you go back and forth with these people for a while saying, why? What's so wrong about it? Well, when people start sending you the picture of like what it could be interpreted as and you continue to put it up and defend it, I, you know, whether really or not you it, think though. it's He fair, responded he, to people no, he, and said, I took it down. It was a mistake. No, no, no. Right. He, no, he was, he was responding to people while that post was still up because I okay, took some I screenshots. He was, that. he was going oh, back and forth. Well, well, I'm just saying when You're a couple people. a blogger. You well, screenshot saying, everything. A couple, right. a couple of people had said like i don't think this is a good idea he was like well why is it not okay i believe a couple people had actually put in one of the images that uh, was eventually used by the person that bomani jones quote tweeted and he he obviously didn't think that that's what it looked like i think he finally took it down because he caught so much heat for it but i I don't know it doesn't look good it it certainly does not look good it it's just something that I think you have to have a better mind about. I thought Bomani Jones, if he made an interesting point, it was clearly he made that uh, after we got access to the media feed and he tweeted it out around, I think, 136, which means while the game was going on, he was putting together the stick figure. It's not like that takes a long time, um, but I thought, if anything, if Bomani was making a good point, it's he probably should have been focusing in on the game. Maybe he did it during commercial breaks. I don't know. But again, not a smart thing to put out while you're Twitter being paid down there to uh to cover the game whatever yeah it was a mistake like it was i and he's he's tweeted an apology and said it was it was a mistake it was a mistake to put it out there that's something before you hit publish you got to be like okay i i this was not what i was intending to draw and the way it came out it looks really bad and i shouldn't publish this and i think that's what he did um to but you know everybody rushed to judgment and this is you know society in 2018 where one unintentional misstep 
can turn into a whole thing and potentially ruin a whole guy's career. And I don't, I don't think Philly Voice will or should do anything about this, but I wouldn't be once Bomani Jones is on the case and Jason Whitlock gets on the case and then it becomes a, a story that a Philadelphia sports writer drew this picture of Carolina Panther Eric Reed and there's the picture and now it's a thing. And then, and then, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised that happens here. You can be, you can believe that uh, Jason Whitlock's video will be up on FoxSports.com with a, uh, with a hot take about it. With a very strongly yeah, worded I mean, headline. And the thing is, you know, context is always removed from this stuff. You're going to show it to people who are going to see it. It's like, oh, my God, that, yeah, that's a bad drawing. And once you have the context of following Jimmy Kemsky for the last eight years and knowing he has drawn pictures of, you know, stick figure gifts of Chip Kelly jumping into pools and players on fishing hooks and, you know, players with guns in their hands. And like, I mean, he, he satirizes, uh, not sodomizes, satirizes everything um, through his stick figures. And it's it's going to be... It's just unfair, and th- and this is the thing, like he does this f- for everybody, and I know people will say, well, yes, but but you know historically, you know you have to be more sensitive to these things about, you know, when it's a, a it's a black person compared to a white person. I totally get that, and the picture was bad. Like I'm not defending the picture, but it was it was a mis- I truly believe it was a mistake, and I think what happens is, and I I my problem with like the gotcha sort of thing of this which we used to do a lot more on the site and i've tried consciously for like the site to do less of that at people you know and have a more level head about really trying to tear people down if they make a misstep um you know the thing that really gets me in these situations is you know when it's it's involving a group that historically hasn't been treated equally whether that's you know african-americans or women or, or whatever you rightfully strive towards equal treatment but then when that treatment is is negative and it has nothing to do with your skin color or your sex or your race or any of that stuff then all of a sudden it's a race thing like i had a problem with this you know in the kavanaugh thing where someone tweeted um you know the way this guy was speaking to the female senator should tell you all you know about the way he treats women that dude was yelling at everybody that day but because someone isolated the video where he was particularly rude to someone and happened to be a female, then it's like, well, this guy must hate women. And it's like, you know, you want, you want to be treated equally, rightfully, but then when someone treats you equally and that, and that equally is, well, they, they treat you like shit because they were being an asshole that day or they're an indiscriminate asshole to everybody. Or in this case of Jimmy Kemsky, he's drawing a picture of ridiculous pictures of white guys and black guys alike and this one happens to be a black guy then all of a sudden that equal treatment is like well wait a minute you know this is this is a minority or a subgroup and you can't treat you can't be mean to them because therefore it must be racist or sexist that is what i have a problem with like kemi kemsky has probably drawn a lot of things that are wholly ridiculous about a lot of players that they could probably be a little bit upset about um it was a bad picture but you have to know the context of the guy. And I feel like if people are going to try and burn him down, maybe go through his timeline or Google, as I did, Jimmy Kemsky's stick figures and take a look at some of the ridiculous things he's drawn over the years. It's it's not a race thing. It was a bad. It was a picture that came out bad, and in the haste of probably trying to get it up during the game, uh, he completely misfired, and it had a poor connotation. All right, let's move on to something happier. Let's talk about Markel Fultz. <laughs> um. I'm beginning to join you on on Fultz. Um, well, no. So what was, look, what the was reason my take? I don't even remember what my take on Fultz was. Well, no, but like last year, you were more harsh on Fultz and Simmons, and I my thing was like, look, this team has got some you know, genuine rookie type players. 
whether, you know, I say rookie type because Simmons was here for a year and Embiid was, you know, basically in his like fourth year last year with the franchise, but his, you know, games played was a, kind of a rookie to start the season, which is crazy. Uh, and Fultz is a true rookie. Like this team was playing way above their fighting weight early last year. You had a guy in Ben Simmons who was, you know, transcending what rookies have done before him. You don't expect these guys to have complete games. And everyone knew it was obvious that Ben Simmons had a gaping hole in his game is in all facets of shooting three point jump shot, free throw shooting. And more importantly, his inability to want to shoot probably because <gasps> he can't rely on it. Okay. That was Lish. I had less of a problem with that sort of thing. No, look, I wasn't disagreeing with you. I was saying, okay, yeah. Russ, here's what I was saying. Yes, this is a hole in his game. Everyone acknowledges a hole in his game. He's a 21 or whatever year old rookie who is putting up triple doubles. Like a lot of rookies have major holes in his game. This is a big one, but I'm not going to shit on the guy of this was literally November of his first season because he's not doing these things. Next year, it's expected that he comes back and improves this hole in his game. And, you know... He's been predictably great, and I know he got a little dinged up the other night. But, you know, after a couple games, he still has that hesitancy to shoot. Um, he's taken that elbow jumper a little bit more. Um, so, But I'm more inclined to say, look, when you come back and go 5'11 from the free throw line in your first game back against the Celtics, that's a problem. That You know, that when you shoot under 50% and you were a little over 50% last year, that's something you easily have to work out uh, in the offseason. And you said there was an interview where he said this was the offseason, first offseason he worked on his shooting. That's a problem. You know, if you're in the NBA at this point, you should be working on your shooting more frequently. And I'm less inclined to give these guys slack after a full season. And ditto with Markel Fultz. Whatever happened last year happened. It It's a boner. It's a mulligan. It, it is what it is. You come back this year, it's one thing, you know, you work on that shot all summer and the fact that you're passing up shots to me is more concerning because I feel like if you've worked on a shot and you're confident in it, it's one of those things where you just have to get in the rhythm of instinctively thinking shoot first. And there's clearly a guy who was not thinking shoot first. And it's concerning because like you really can't argue anymore that it's not mental and it's disappointing because you can see flashes of how he could be a star type player, his handle, his court vision is actually very good. He is effortless in finding the open man. Uh, part of that is because defenses collapse and he's able to push in and kick out. But he is, he is an excellent passer. He's got a great handle. Defensively, when he exerts even a little bit of effort, he is pretty strong. Um, and honestly, if he had guys defending him on the perimeter, he'd be able to get to the hoop almost at will. And he finished it. You know, he, he can get himself in a position to finish fairly well. But again, it all boils down to the shot. And, uh, you know, I think we're seeing maybe slight glimmers of hope but you know when we're literally cheering the first three-pointer uh from our number one draft pick over a year in at the end of kind of a blowout game that's that's not a high watermark here by any stretch nope no it's not um so let let's uh let me break a couple of these things down so you might think that this season ben simmons has shown a a greater willingness maybe to shoot, uh, I, I go back to the interview that he did. It was on the jump on ESPN where he had been quoted as saying, honestly, I've never needed to shoot. I've never had somebody teach me how to shoot. It's something I'm new at. So I have all these people saying I can't do this. Well, obviously I can't because it's something I'm new at. So this is really the first time I've had to practice it and work on my shots. How exactly does a number one overall pick in a draft say that? How do you go through your entire High school, your AAU career, 
your college career, you get drafted number one overall, and you're telling me that you've never worked on the jumper, ever. Well, Doesn't you, well, that, let me that, answer that kinda... your question literally, because I know it was a rhetorical question, but I want to answer that literally. Dude's from Australia. Dude's almost seven feet tall. He's gifted beyond belief. He's right in that he never had to work on his jump shot because he could effortlessly do whatever he wanted on a basketball court until last year. So I agree with you, especially that year he was hurt. It seemed like the perfect time to do nothing to work on mechanics, upper body mechanics. mechanics. Yes, you would think so. When he says uh, I've never had to shoot before, I have five games uh, against the Boston Celtics in last year's playoffs that that counter that, that show that it actually would have helped if you could have shot or if you could have presented the threat of a shot. And it's the same thing that's happened so far this year. That, that first game against Boston, they played exactly the same against Ben because there there is a part of this, there's part of the sports psychology of making your opponent think that there might be a possibility that you'll change things up. So when Ben came into the season saying, well, I'm really not going to shoot threes. Well, great. We're going to continue to sag 10 feet off you because we're going to give ourselves at least a, a decent enough of a cushion that when you do decide to attack the rim and kick out because you offer no threat of a shot, we don't have to change the way that we defend you. I, these There are certain things that I feel like there's a disconnect between Ben and, and the way that he should be putting himself out there uh, in the media, I like I, I think this comes across as tone deaf. And again, I know I'm going to take heat. This is going to be like Carson Wentz. I can't go after Ben. I think Ben is a fantastic player. I want Ben to play his entire career for the Sixers. I think that if Ben decides to go the LeBron James route or even the Jason Kidd route and expand his range and become a legitimate shooter, become somebody who can even shoot like, let's say, low 30s from three. But just have that in his arsenal. Russell Westbrook does the same thing, and, and people still don't sag off him at the three-point arc because they know that there's still a shot that if he gets hot, he can start to you know make it rain from deep. I, if Ben does that, he can be an all-time great. But he needs to have a shot, and he needs to have a willingness to shoot. I don't care if Ben Simmons spends this whole season shooting in like the mid-30s from the field on jump shots. Like If, if we look, as per cleaning the glass... 67% of his shots attempted this season have been at the rim. That's up 13% from last year. Now, I get that it's a small sample size. He's he's down 9% on short mid-range jumpers, and he's about the same at long mid-range jumpers. Okay, He obviously has not attempted threes. I think he had one half-court heave earlier this season. So, so far, the one big thing that people took out of the Boston series as it pertained to Ben was his unwillingness to shoot, and he hasn't done anything to make it better. Now, Part of that is because he's not playing on the ball as much as he did last year. There has been this effort to defer to Markel Fultz, which is a whole other thing. And he's still trying to find, I think, his best position on the floor when he's out there with Fultz and Dario and Embiid, the latter two of whom like to spend a lot of time in the paint and are honestly at their best when their back is to the basket. So... I think a lot of this is growing pains. I don't expect the Sixers to really hit their stride until probably February, March. And that's okay as you try to integrate faults. But the faults thing is its own thing. Ben needs to start shooting. It, it's not so much a matter of being a good shooter. It's just offering that so the defense can't sag off him like they have. He's The, the reason I think he's so good when he's at the top or he's, he's at the top of the paint or he's at the elbow is just because like the vision of being able to be matched up against a guard and take them down if he needs to and, and get to the hoop, that's great. He can see over those guards if he's matched up on a big, you know, assuming that he works on his off-ball cutting, he's going to be able to get himself open looks or open looks for teammates. But ultimately, like he's got to show a defense that he is willing to pull up for a jump shot. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and I think his, his free throw shooting is as important as all of that because you're sure. never... 
you know, Ben Simmons can be a superstar without a great shot. And I agree with everything you just said, by the way. Um, my biggest problem was when he was playing PUBG or whatever online last year, and he, he was talking to Carl Anthony Towns about, um, you know, <clears throat> how people criticize him for not shooting. He said, you know, man, just appreciate what I do well. And, you know, everyone's talking about my shooting. Well, first of all, people do appreciate you do well. Everyone, you know, you're rookie of the year, and you're talked about as being a transcendent star all the time. It's not that people don't appreciate it. It's that people see how good you are and know that even with just, like, the most mediocre shot in the world, you could be a potential superstar Hall of Fame talent. Um, so it's not that people don't appreciate it. You know, and that sort of attitude, that was the first time any of it really rubbed me wrong. I was like, you know. It sounds indignant. It sounds indignant rather than being like, well, shit. You know, like, if, you know, I, I don't know. If you said about me as a blogger, you do this, this, and this as a blogger, but man, your inability to, you know, put a good image with a post really holds you back. Well, I'd be like, well, shit, I got, I got to figure out how to put a good image with a post. I don't know. It's a stupid example, but you get it. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, I think his free throw shooting is as important, though, because he's up five he and a half percent so far. I think he shot up a higher percentage in, in the preseason. It, he has, it, but this, uh, is, this me, is where I'll give, just, this is where I'll give him credit, and it plays into this. He has shown a higher willingness to attack the hoop, and that was one thing that last year we said time and time again. It did not look like he was willing to go through contact and get to the line because there was this fear of him going to the line and, and being a 50% free throw shooter. He's hitting about, I think, 61.5% right now. If he's able to get that anywhere close to 70% and he continues to attack, it, it really does help them out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You made my point, and I think okay, it, sorry, it's no. got to be there. But he's he's not. He's actually at um, he's at fifty four point five percent this year, which is actually one and a half points lower than it was last year. Again, on free throws. Yeah. Where are you seeing those numbers? As uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is at fifty seven percent, and he w- nope nope yep nope. He's at fifty seven percent according to Basketball Reference. Fifty seven point one percent. I don't think that's right. Cleaning the glass has him higher. Whatever. Okay. Well, Move the, on. the point is, he's, he's still it's not a, It's a bad free throw percentage. Find a new slant. Got it. Got it. Yep. So, again, but if he could do that, and then that makes his driving so much better to all the reasons you just described. Fultz is the guy that you need him to shoot. Like, you didn't get Ben Simmons as a shooter. The Sixers can be a championship caliber team without Ben Simmons being a great shooter. The problem is you can't have two like I, we're yelling at the cloud here. Everybody knows this, but what is so disappointing is that in these first few games, and I'm not trying to be down on the Sixers, but I think we can be. I didn't want to be as critical of them last year because this was you know you're talking rookie players, you're talking a team that has made a huge jump year over year, and. But now you can be critical of these things because you've seen what they have and you want progress. So far through a few games, not much has changed. Part of that has to do with the offseason. And we could talk about, you know, how they didn't really have a real GM for one of the most important offseasons ever and, you know, whether or not you like the trade and all that stuff. The point is, on the court, Joel Embiid looks like he has somehow gotten better, which is great. Ben Simmons, you know, shown signs in certain areas, as you described, getting better. Fultz's issues seem more or less the same. Simmons issues against the Celtics, which were more apparent than against any other team, seem the same, at least in the first game. That's what's been a little bit disappointing here, that those guys didn't come out firing up more shots. And I know it's early and things will change, but like when you see two guards out there, it is an untenable situation. This team cannot go anywhere with having two starting guards 
uh, you know, guard type players, ball handlers who cannot shoot outside of the paint. It's just untenable. And you watch the way the Celtics defended him. And even the bull, you know, like you, you see how it impacts an offense. When Markel Fultz passes up a wide open three, it clogs the lane, not just for him, but for everybody else. Mm-hmm. When, you, when they're already clogging the lane for Ben Simmons. Again, like we're both preaching to the choir here. But I think people have to realize, you know, why the Fultz thing. If I'm, and part of this rests on Brett Brown, by the way. He, when you see him at those games and those kind of garbage minutes, granted they're garbage minutes, but he gets a little more ISO or at the end of, like his natural ability comes out in those situations more. And I feel like the Sixers don't, I don't want to say draw enough up for him, but especially in the early going here, even if it costs you a few wins, like I think you just have to put the ball in his hands in some situations and say, okay, this is a possession. We're going to have Markel go score for us or try and go score for us. And if he fails, he fails. Bingo. But they're putting him in these situations where they're putting the ball in his hands and he's a little bit better, but ultimately he's just bringing the ball up and then he's either handing it off or he's doing what I did in CYO. Like he looks like me in CYO where you like, I wasn't that good at basketball and I would I occasionally dribble the ball up and then I would dribble, dribble, dribble into a defender, think I was doing good. I would gain five feet, get to the top of the paint and then be like, oh yeah, they know I can't shoot from past there. So that's where they defend, you know, is in the paint. And then I get into the paint, realize I'm stuck and I have to turn around and sort of hand it off to someone behind me and hope they can put up a better shot. That is not a tenable situation for him. And I feel like the Sixers are too, have been too passive in letting him bring the ball up, letting him just sort of initiate the offense, which really just means sort of the guy who carries it up, and then disappear. They need like He needs to get in two isos per quarter where you're like, you know what, everybody clear out, Markel's going to go score. Because that's what the guys with his ability and skill set in the NBA do, and you have to just trial by fire that. And if it doesn't come, then it's not going to come. Like They can't wait forever on this guy. But you can't get in these situations where he doesn't have the ball, doesn't have the ball. He's just dumping it off. And then all of a sudden, he's like wide open for a three and he shits his pants. Like, let the guy be in an ISO where his natural ability takes over. And maybe that's the way you start mentally getting yourself out of this. And if they lose a few games because of it, so be it. Like, I feel like Brett Brown needs to mandate that he shoots at least, jacks up at least three threes per game. Like, I don't care, Markel, if you're covered. Like, you go out there. By the end of this game, you have to take three threes for these first 10 games. Because that's the only way you yeah, get out of this. I, you don't you don't get out of it if you keep I don't know if in it this is. rut that you're in. No, I, I think as a fan, it's fair to say that that's what we would want as an expectation. But but psychologically on the guy, I don't know if it does any good. Th- this is one thing. So I I well, wanted to kind of whatever he's I, doing is not it does well, not. Appear I wanted to, be to try to get a little bit of an idea because I, I know how it feels when I'm watching the game, and this is this is a little bit of of an assignment for everybody who's uh, who's listening. The next game that the Sixers play, I want you to take special notice of when he brings the ball up. And it's a handoff to um, probably either Dario or Ben at the high post, and he flashes wide. He, he ends up going towards baseline. He often, at that point, the whole body language changes, and he shuts down. And you can actually start to see later in games that his defensive assignment actually turns his back on faults and begins to crowd the paint, knowing that they're not going to kick it back out to him. Like Just watch his body language after he gets rid of the ball. In, in quite a few of, of their offensive sets. The other thing that I kept thinking of is it feels like when Markel decides that he's going to be decisive, it's the most indecisive decisiveness you could have. So this season so far through three games, three games, Markel Fultz has shot an equal number of shots after 
uh, three to six dribbles or seven plus dribbles as he has cutting baseline or, or getting back to her cuts and not dribbling the ball at all. He's uh, three to six dribbles when it's just him. He's taken just over or just under 27% of his shots. 20% of his shots have been after he's dribbled the ball seven times or more. I think a lot of those times is when he gets himself into trouble in the shot clock. Um, in terms of when he shoots within the shot clock, it's usually somewhere around like the f- seven to 15 second range. Um, what a lot of this tells me is he doesn't come down the floor knowing that he's going to go hard in ISO ball. He doesn't necessarily demand yet that he's put in an ISO situation, kind of to your point. Um, and, and a lot of this, I think, kind of works itself out to being that he often gets himself caught in these positions where he's not fully engaged in the offense, and then it just kind of becomes a hot potato situation. The, the, the one yeah. thing that people have said on Twitter all throughout the, the season or the, the offseason and throughout training camp was, well, you know, part of this problem is going to be how to Kel and, and Ben play together. And honestly, when they drafted him, when we thought that we were getting this Markel Fultz who could get a shot over anybody with this high release, you know, we thought that it might be hard for him to learn how to play off ball. It's not even that right now. Look, no. people thought that that part of the, the hindrance on Markel at this point is because he had to play with Ben. Well, Ben Simmons only played eight minutes against Orlando before he went out and got hurt. Markel Fultz played nine less minutes in that game than he did in the previous game against Chicago. And why is that? Well, because Orlando fought their way back into the game. Orlando went on, or the Sixers went on quite a run after Markel came out in the second half. I think they went on like a 12-2 or a 12-0, 14-0 run with Markel off the court. And ultimately, they didn't feel like they could run any kind of a sustainable offense or a competent defense with Markel Fultz on the floor in the fourth quarter. They ended up putting in TJ McConnell, who, no offense to TJ, has gotten you know a lot of minutes taken away by virtue of Fultz needing to be in and Landry Shamit kind of playing this weird combo combo guard thing, um, which I think, by the way, he's doing pretty well. And as a late first-round pick, he's already contributed more than Andres Pisekness did when uh, Colangelo traded up to get him ahead of Josh Hart and uh, Kyle Kuzma a couple drafts nice. ago. I digress. Um, these are all things that that I'm finding myself upset with. If, you, if you've been thinking that the whole reason that Markel has been held back is because Ben is playing, uh, the Orlando game is enough to show you that there are legit reasons to be concerned. As a matter of fact, even if you take it back to the Chicago game, Chicago is a woeful defensive team. Orlando is not that much better. And and all Markel had to show for it was, like I said, a drop in minutes. And, and overall... I think he had, what, was it 12, 12 points, I think, against Orlando? Uh, and he, he ends up with, I think it was eight in the last game. I have the advanced stats pulled up, so this doesn't help. Yeah, there, there's been... I'm sorry, a- he, had tw- he had 12 points against Chicago on 5 of 15 shooting. He had eight points on 4 of 11 shooting. Now, is he getting rebounds? Yes. He's been getting himself involved on the glass. Has he been getting assists? Yes. His assist numbers have gone from 2 to 5 to 7 in the first three games, which is big. I think he has the potential, if he's engaged defensively, he can be the best shot-blocking guard defensively since, like, a young Dwayne Wade. He's got that 6'9 wingspan. He has all of the physical tools that should make him a nightmare for teams in, in a way that, you know, should allow him to match up well against the Celtics. But if the thing, that gray matter in his skull is not locked in, it doesn't matter what kind of physical tools the kid has. Right now, he just doesn't look like he has it. And and it's weird because listening to the national media guys, listening to Reggie Miller say that they, they think that the Philadelphia fans' reaction of, of kind of being over the top every time he makes a shot or he makes a good play, they he, Reggie Miller said it could actually work the opposite way. It's almost like reverse psychology. They're treating him like Rudy. 
you know, I, I think that the fans are doing a big favor by Markel by cheering for him. I think everybody knows that he's gone through a lot. People want to see him succeed. And I think people know that ultimately their only shot of competing in this conference with an obviously stacked Boston Celtics and a not surprising to me, but surprising to a lot of people, a very deep Toronto Raptor team. The only way for them to compete is for Markel to play, because right now there's not a trade on the table right now that isn't going to deplete some of your depth. And there aren't that many stars, top 15 player guy, you know, players available outside of maybe Jimmy Butler, who apparently the Sixers have no interest in anyway. So Markel needs to play well, but he was given the opportunity and he certainly did not carpe diem. Yep. Uh, I, I completely agree. There's a lot of pressure on him because this is uh, this is really... In a way, it's all hinging on him. If he becomes, um, I don't want to keep comparing him to Tatum because at this point, it's unfair. You just want to see him develop and improve. And whatever Tatum's going to do, Tatum's going to do. You can't like say all winning the, shots at the Garden. The, yeah, the number, yeah, the number three pick is better than number one pick. It happens, fine. But if Fultz becomes even eighty percent of what we hoped he had become when they drafted him, this is a you know it's a championship caliber team in you know whenever the Warriors get out of the way, like they can be that good. Joel Embiid can be an MVP candidate, maybe this year. Okay. Ben Simmons clearly can be an MVP candidate at some point. Again, maybe in a year or two. Markel Fultz, you know, if he, it just some approaches all-star-ish ability, you're talking a truly dominant team they could have, you know? So it's, and it's frustrating because for all the things you just said, when you see him, with the ball in his hands, occasionally get lost in just playing, it's effortless for him. His passing ability is very effortless. Like, those assist numbers, you know, they feel... I, I don't... They, they feel cheap, and maybe some of them are just because, you know, teams sag off him, and then, you know, he's able to sort of just dump it back out, like almost roll it back out. But I, th- I think it's... I think they're like... It's like Bobby Abreu cheap. You know, people gave Bobby Abreu shit because, like, he never got a clutch hit. But ultimately, the guy was just a really good hitter, and it came easy to him. I think the assists come very easy and natural to Markel. And even when he's struggling, he's able to get assists because he sees the court so well, and he's a good passer, and it's quick, and it's effortless. That dude can shoot. It just opens up an entire other world of possibilities, certainly yep. in assist, certainly in, obviously, just shooting the ball and scoring, but also in teams defending him. Like, that spin move is effective if a guy's on your hip. Where it's not effective is when the guy's able to sit in the paint and you're, you start your spin five feet in front of him and he's just able to lean over right into the spin. Yeah. Like this is, all, we're, we're preaching to the choir here. It's just, I feel like Brett Brown has to just force the guy to shoot. You have to shoot out of this. You have to say, you know, I don't know if Ben Simmons is going to, is he going to miss a game here or whatever? If he does, back stiffness, maybe. If he does, I think you like the next He's game. He's got to start. Is, he has it's to the start, market. and he has and he has Kel, to play significant minutes. He has to play thirty-five minutes. Kel and like, has had to. three big minute games. He's put up a lot of points. You're our scorer tonight. Like you're going out. You you're are a, our number one option every time down the floor. I want you looking and thinking shot every time you get the ball. I know I always take it back to Villanova, but like Jay Wright's motto is shoot him up, sleep in the streets. He wants his guys, every single guy on the floor, by the way, uh, Amari spelled in 17 points and I had to get that in. Uh, he wants his guy, every single guy on the floor, the minute they get that ball, they think shot. And if you don't have shot, then you, you three dribbles and pass no more. Yep. And that mindset, and he, like you could just see it, as you said, in his body language, when he gets off the ball, I completely agree with you for once. It's like, 
I'm out of the play. And this is me and CYO. It's like I dribble into the crowd, I pass it off, and then someone who can actually score, you go do it. The defenses sag off you. It's bad body language. And when he, like, he's clearly thinking pass first. It's, it's, it's a cliche in sports, but when he gets, I mean, he does not want the ball in his hands to score. And when, when he says after the game, of course, I'm always going to shoot. I want to shoot. No one's going to get me to stop shooting. And then you go back and look at a replay from two hours earlier where he is twice wide open, I mean, wide open from three and dribbles into traffic. The only thing that can be more concerning than the mental thing is he's not a sharp enough basketball player to recognize that he's that wide open and should shoot. And I don't think that's the case because in college and in the little bit of action in the summer league, he knew exactly where and how much time he had to get a shot yeah. off. He just got to yeah. be, he's got to change his mindset. Like you're going to go out there. If you ever play pickup and you're playing with guys who are better than you, right? Every day of my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, same. But this like, not if foreign you, to me, but if you go out and play, I, you know, I'm, I was okay in my twenties, like playing pickup at the gym. Most of the time, the, the people on my team were better than me. And it was like, I would, you know, know that. So I would just try and get rebounds and play defense. And when I got the ball, do what Markel does, dribble into a space and, you know, just get it to somebody good. Spin, Advance the ball. Spin two feet away from the hoop, get blocked. Exactly. Rinse, repeat. Drive on my right hand and then kick it out. That's pretty much all I could do. But occasionally if you would play with someone, people who were, you know, not as good as you or, you know, the guy defending you, you knew you were a little bit better than or whatever. Like, your mindset changed. You're like, I could actually score some points here, and I'm going to think score every time I get the ball. That's going to be my first thought. And lo and behold, like, when you get in that, you can, you know, like, it changes your mentality and your confidence. And he need, like he just needs to flip that switch. Like, I'm going to get the ball, I'm going to score. And if you yeah. don't, and if you dribble in the traffic, then pass it, fine. Like, don't force up junk, but, like, think... Pull the trigger the minute you get it, and and then if there's there's someone in your face, then then kick it out. Yeah, I mean, look, the, I I think part of this problem that Fultz is running into the the best comparison I have for it is his body language kind of looks like a young Vince Carter. The difference here, so like this kind of builds off the Abreu thing. So Abreu made the game look easy. Vince Carter was often kind of. Um, put down by by league skeptics as saying that he didn't look engaged and a lot of it was just like Vince Carter could get anywhere he wanted to on the court at any time uh he just he just made everything look easy it never really looked like he was trying all that hard the thing that Vince Carter did to kind of offset this was he had flashy dunks you know he got himself in and made some real highlight plays and I I don't know man like I I think that might be the thing that Markel's missing out on like Simmons will find him in the lane for like a beautiful pass and like it's a wide open lane go up and dunk it young fella like we've seen you all summer working with Drew Hanlon putting up videos of you like bouncing the ball off the floor getting it yourself finishing these wild alley-oops we've seen that you're athletic go out and like jam it get the crowd up if you make exciting plays like that as stupid as it is you get kind of lost in the in the scheme of the game and like fine like it it, it kind of offsets. That was the thing that to Carter me, could that's do. The sign. And, and that's where he's like, that's why I don't think he's totally engaged mentally in the game, nor do I think he either understands or cares what exactly it is that the fans are looking for from him. When, when this fan base of all people is not booing this kid off the court, right? Some would say that it's sarcastic cheering, but for the most part, I think in, in these home games that we've seen, this, no, I'd say this, this fan yeah. base is 
incredibly supportive. There are guys who on day one have gotten booed who have gone on to have Hall of Fame careers. They're not doing it to this kid. He needs to be appreciative of it. And part of it, maybe to your point, is he's got to go out and he has to try to show that he is at least some semblance of the guy that we thought we were going to get when we traded up to draft him. Um, speaking of, if, if you on. don't mind, Wait, do you have, do you have I, another full point? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, one. No, I, I agree with you, and I think the biggest sign that it's mental uh, is when he does get the ball in those situations, and you're worried that he is going to flub the layup or the dunk. Like even yeah. even there was one last night where he got the ball, and I, like he either like sort of gingerly dunked it in or, or like scooped it in. Like, dude, we've seen you like jump out of the gym, like throw it down with authority. Like that is the sign that you're not thinking score first when you have a natural ability like that, and you get the ball with nothing between you and the cup. And you still are ginger about it. That's that's a weird, concerning thing. I will say though, there was a little stretch there last night where he was like a couple of possessions, super active on the boards and with his hands. And, and that's, that where, one where the that's where it matters. Those it. hustle plays matter. And they as matter much to as the fans, they matter yep. to the to the rhythm of a game. And they get you into the game. And as Dang, much yep. as I think Reggie Miller is highly annoying, he kept saying during uh, one of those games, I guess it was the Bulls it was, game. It was, yeah, it was the Bulls game. He's like, he's like, if Fultz would just like smack the floor on defense, give it a fake dive for a ball, just something to get his energy up and the crowd's energy up, like show that faux hustle because it's, it's for the crowd, which in turn gets you up. And now all of a sudden you're in the game. Like those things matter. If you and put TJ McConnell's, if you put TJ McConnell's work ethic and fire into Mark Feltz's body, no, no, listen. I don't if you say put that into Mark Feltz's body, you would have a multi-time All Star. I think saying work ethic is unfair because okay, by all fine. accounts, he you did put everything fire. you could this put, summer. Put the on-court fire, put the passion, put all of that in. I'm make him a little bit sure. more extroverted on on the court. There you go. That. I'm not even sure. We it's do. That. You just, like, well, I mean, I, I think his body, you know, his body language is misleading. Language is bad. His facial expressions are misleading. Yeah, it is bad. But I think it's misleading. I think I don't want to judge the guy because he has nonchalant body language and demeanor. There's a difference between the way you look and the way you act. The way he acted during those possessions last night, where he was active, hyperactive. That's what he needs to do. I don't care if he, you know, walks like Jar Jar Binks after the play, right? <laughs> <laughs> but. He, <laughs> He does a little bit, right? He's got those long arms. Um, oh, I don't. I don't care. Show the show it like in its. I, I don't think it's a lack of trying. I just think he's scared. I think he's playing scared because you see when he gets into the game, I, the dude is not. He's not loafing like defensively. He looks pretty good at times. I don't think it's a lack of trying. I think sometimes it look it just comes natural to him. But I think it's just being scared, and that timidness is can very easily translate to what looks like a lack of of hustle. Uh, you know, and they kind of go together. You know, it, it, a lack of hustle is you know intentional in some cases, and other times it's just a symptom of someone you know kind of being scared and out of their element, and not you know it, it, not something they're choosing to do necessarily. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's not good. Can we talk about uh, exactly. what really quick? To talk but about? wait, uh, since I since you mentioned the trade before, and I mentioned trading up, I just want to touch on this really quick. So I, I did this post for the site about a, a league change. So the one and done rule came up uh, over the summer. It came up a week before the NBA draft that the league was entertaining conversations with the uh, the NBA Players Association about eliminating the one and done rule that that prohibits. Um, is I don't know if it's specifically 18-year-olds, but high school seniors from directly entering the NBA draft. There is 
an option for them to go to the G League for, I believe, twenty five dollars or $35,000 for the year or go to college or go to Europe, whatever. And the there had been like this rumor that maybe 2021 was going to be the year that they were going to you know put this the abolishment of this rule into effect um it was i believe june 15th is when it leaked the uh, nba league-wide memo that said as early as 2021 this could be going down so you know keep that in mind we're looking at it we're investigating the possibility about a week later the sixers pull off this trade they get rid of mikhail bridges who they had just drafted for zaire smith and a 2021 unprotected pick via the uh, Miami Heat from the Phoenix Suns. Obviously, that trade was done and was structured in a way that the Sixers thought that that because of that league-wide memo, because of things they were hearing, that 2021 would be the year that this rule had been abolished. So it was a massively valuable pick. As a matter of fact, Brett Brown, in the immediate aftermath of, of that trade, mentioned the fact specifically that that pick could be the first year that high school seniors are allowed to enter the NBA draft, right? This was a thing that had like followed the immediate aftermath, the fallout of the NBA draft. Well, this this like uh, over the weekend, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN points out in his post, in his article, in his reporting, that the NBA took at least into in part into consideration the fact that the Sixers trade that netted them this unprotected 2021 pick from the Phoenix Suns via the Miami Heat was part of of the reason, a catalyst, if you will, for the league deciding that 2022 might be the earliest that they would eliminate the one and done rule. Now, if, if there's if there's something out there that is a more direct hit at the team, the hinky stuff was always conjecture. The post that I put together, you know, it it really kind of leans toward the the Reddit theory all along that the the Jerry Colangelo hiring was really spurned on by all of the NBA owners complaining about you know, overt tanking by the Sixers and Adam Silver got his fingers all over it. He put Colangelo in power and then eventually, you know, Hinky resigns and Brian Colangelo is installed three years later. The team's not really any better. Yada, yada, yada. Got it. But the fact that that Woj in his reporting specifically cited that 2021 pick was was upsetting. But the fact that it seems like and it sounds like what the league is saying is that teams didn't know going into the NBA draft that this one and done rule could be, you know, eliminated, abolished as early as 2021 is absolute BS. It is lunacy to suggest it. And the fact that it was out in the public sphere for a week leading up to that NBA draft, and now the league is backtracking and saying that teams didn't know. Somebody please explain to me why the Sixers, who had a, a rather functional or dysfunctional, depending on how you look at it, front office situation, the fact that they seem to work with this working knowledge, the fact that the public knew about it, but now my that the uh, Phoenix Suns had no idea that these other teams had no idea what the implications of trading a 2021 pick could be, the fact that they would actually argue the teams didn't know how the hell did this philadelphia 76ers front office understand it nobody else did it's total nonsense it's the kind of stuff it's not a tinfoil hat conspiracy it is very clearly outlined by Woj, and it has me so pissed off because it is just so overtly anti-sixer and if look if this happened to any other team i would be upset i wouldn't be this upset obviously none of these other teams are my teams if it happened to the celtics i would laugh but it's nonsense it's absolute nonsense and the fact that the league is backtracking and acting like nobody knew is total nonsense and i'm angry I, at the end i agree with you i think it's bullshit uh i think it was a well-written piece i think you're on to something a little bit a little tinfoilish with the conspiracy because hanky is out of here and I don't think the league is, and it was a Colangelo move that you're talking about, and I don't think the league uh, has any sort of built-in disdain for the Colangelos, obviously, and I don't think they're holding against the Sixers. They had to let Colangelo go because of everything that happened. Um, 
if Colangelo league, gets hired, the Sixers on, get on. the number one overall pick in the draft. I, I Brian Colangelo is is publicly outed, and now all of a sudden, nobody knew. No, that, bl- that's tinfoil. That's tinfoil. Yeah, I don't hat. think that's they're blaming the, the Sixers for firing him. Certainly, no, but no. I, you know, look, I, I inclined to actually believe with you, side with you here. But then you see that the Sixers are opening the NBA season on TNT and getting another TNT broadcast two nights later. And the, you know, I mean, well, the, the, as, as petty the as the league rights, could, the, those networks get to choose specific they, networks. Though. You don't, hold they, on. I mean, come on. They get to. I the, mean, you can flex the networks out, right? absolutely have it. Well, look, the networks absolutely have a say and for middle-of-the-season games. But to make no mistake, the NBA is absolutely involved in sure. what game debuts their season on national television and it's Sixers Celtics with the Warriors getting the rings following the game like these aren't you know these I know we think oh it's just what's on TV or whatever I mean these are the things the leagues care about what is how is our product being showcased Sixers getting two TNT games to start the season uh, and a whole slew of uh, of uh, national games and then the China tour and then last year the London thing like the league is choosing to feature them they know they have a hot product with internationally beloved players in Simmons and Embiid in a large passionate market on the east coast they would be foolish to hold it against them you know this isn't the Milwaukee yeah I mean they're Bucks also planting the seed like, of this is of a marketable you- franchise I don't think the league is actively trying to hurt them or put the screws to them. This thing sucks and is bullshit. Um, and while I'm inclined to be, you know, believe that maybe they're holding something against the Sixers, I, I don't think pettiness comes in front of what is best, you know, what is ultimately good for the league. The Sixers being a good high mark, big market team is good for the league. Like they have a lot going for them in that regard in terms of marketability. And they don't send you to China and London if, you know, that's not the case. So I don't think this is a conspiracy the way you think it is, but I do agree that it's complete bullshit. Okay. I'll take it. Um, one last thing. Can we talk about uh, a couple of things at NBC Sports Philadelphia? Plus, plus, plus. Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things in the last week. Uh, they introduced a new. Um, uh, Sixers post post game show the way they have Eagles post post game shows and I'm assuming it's two people sitting on a couch uh, in more relaxed attire than they normally allow people to wear it's Tyrone uh, Johnson from uh, Mike Missinelli's show and Crystal Rich who I don't know who that is um, but she is a woman from I guess another city who will be doing the post post game show called Sixers Outsiders a new interactive program for Sixers fans makes its debut will air after post game live and I haven't seen it yet, so I can't speak to it, and I'm not going to. But I saw someone tweet. They said, "Why don't they just make this the, the main post game show rather than Barkan and, and Jim Lynham or whatever?" And I've seen people say, "I'm going to tell you why, Michael. I'm going to tell you why, Michael, because the I'm going to tell you what I was seeing on on the court there." So uh, actually, like, I actually think Jim Lynham's okay, despite his delivery. Um, his <laughs> gr- gremlin-like delivery. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's just sitting on the corner, uh, sitting on the corner of the desk. Mike, <laughs> like, I wish I wish they actually showed like in-game live, little bottom of the of the uh, bottom corner of the screen, because like uh, I was I was on um, the ESPN three app. I was watching. I think it was the Ohio State game, and they have like the Sky Cam 
uh, feed you can do, and then control center. There's four camera angles at once, plus the stats. I want that, but I want Jim Lynham like standing gargoyle esque on the uh, the corner of the desk with like Barkan just in the back looking indifferent. I want that as a a constant stream. I think that'd be Mike Brett Brown's got to get these guys some open looks. <laughs> Mike, <laughs> what is happening? Okay. We're Mario Hole. <laughs> okay, he's not constipated. <laughs> well, actually, we don't know. Constipated Maybe he is. Boy. He might be. Maybe he's he is. I don't know. Guy. Okay. Um, anyway, I don't think he's bad, but I saw people have said this too uh, about the Eagles postgame shows, the one that Amy Fadul does on the couch. I don't even know if they're still doing it. I, this is the first year I haven't instinctively tuned the postgame live because it, it's gotten so bad. Um, and... Um, uh, Seth Joyner is so goddamn like emotionless and negative, and Ed Rendell's role has just become a caricature of a caricature. Anyway, I've seen people say, "Why don't they just make that show?" And I agree. And like my my issue with with NBC and you know mainstream in general is like they want to do these things that are a little bit more modern, like younger people not in these suits with these sharp shoulder pads and the pinstripes and all that, like. The notion that you need to to wear a fucking suit to talk intelligently about sports is absurd. You know what are you wearing com- right now? It's sweatpants and a t shirt. Good for you. And it comes, but it comes from like a vestige of yesteryear where it's a big deal to be on TV and there's three networks and you wear the Jim Nance suit with the CBS patch, which I kind of like that they still sort of ironically wear that. Like, give me Dick Enberg in a CBS patch suit. Like, I, I could get down with that. But the notion that you need to, like, do this, and, and companies are getting away from it, and I think, again, Sims and Lefko drink. You know, the way these guys do their show, they do a really good show, and, they're like, they're on camera, and the, the quality is good in terms of, like, production quality, but those guys are there dressed like normal people, like normal, not even work attire, just, like, normal out-in-public attire, okay? That is totally acceptable for sports TV. And, like, they all want to take this half step into it. We're going to have the hip show, but we're going to put the hip show on at midnight when no one else is watching. And we're going to put it after our other 90-minute postgame show because we want to pretend to embrace kind of like this new thing where we incorporate social media and stuff into the show. But we don't really want to do it because we feel like we have to have our canonical version of the show. And I hate that. It's like... And if it fails, they can, they can sell it as, as, like, nobody cared, but exactly. really it was a bad... It was a bad lead. It was a bad time slot. But if you if like Tyrone, they maybe they might maybe kind of hit it. the 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 only if, way, the only thing that I can compare it to, like I saw a lot of people saying in the immediate like aftermath of the announcement, people were saying it looked kind of like sports, like the six, right? Was that the one with um, um, God, what's his name? Jamel, Jamel Hill and, Jamel and Michael, Michael, whatever, Michael Smith, Michael Smith. Yeah. Michael Smith. Um, but I, I think that was more of of the optics thing, and I I don't yeah, know what the show what the show is like. But I saw people saying that on Twitter, and I'm like, and, okay, well. Well, I don't know if that's necessarily bad. Like, there, there is a segment of the fan base that I'm sure doesn't necessarily identify with Michael Barkan and Jim Lynham. So, like, fine. Like, it's perfectly fine. But, yeah, like, why not, not just... Ha- why not, not a lot just- of dudes out there with uh, with blue-rimmed glasses? No, I mean, I was, I was thinking about the fact that, like, even TNT, like, after they get done their games, they have Kevin Garnett host his, uh, his like, wacky, like, Area 51 or whatever it is show afterwards where it gets like a little bit looser i think he they let him kind of fly with the language a little bit he gets former players on they sometimes check in on it um during pregame and and halftime shows but like really he hosts like a a thing totally independent and after the postgame show is done on tnt like i I think there is a trend for this and like maybe there's an audience but it i I think you need to cut down the time of your actual postgame show in order for like people to to stay engaged long enough to actually check it out 
I just you know? think these are half measures. Like, if you think Tyrone Johnson and Crystal Crystal Rich are good, don't relegate them to a second show. Like, make them part of the main show. If you want to keep Barkane and Lineham because you like them, fine. But How like, is that going to work? Uh, it's not. Seriously. But like, no, it's like, not. Uh, but optics, tamp the, down. the style, that doesn't work. You know it doesn't I, work because it, you're going to have to pick one style over the other. And, and for half I'm of them, it's going to work. I'm intrigued by what you mean by not. the word optics. But no, I'm just... Uh, well, I'm carry s- on. I mean, it's, it's, it's too younger, I believe... I th- I don't think I'm going on a limb here saying at least one person is a minority. I th- I think they both. I think I'm not positive. I don't know who Crystal, Crystal Rich is. is. Not white. Um, okay. So, yes. so so okay. Two minority uh, younger people versus like two older white guys. Uh, the optics of that and and the way that you would try to set up this like you, hold on show, you have Ernie Johnson would, sitting next would, to Shaquille O'Neal. Don't tell me it can't be well, done. Well, Ernie's not exactly like forty years older than Shaq. Like Ernie is not age, young. Ernie is old. old. How old is Ernie Johnson? Ernie's got to be sixty. I'm gonna look this up. Hold on. You look that up. Ernie Johnson is sixty. Just because he's sixty two. Be, how old? Just because old Michael Barkan is a is a is a is corny does not you know don't. Don't Charles Barkley's sh- 55. They are they are contemporaries. They're within seven years of each other. Okay, and how old is Shaq? Barkan's 58, and Barkan wears blue glasses, so he must be hip. And he, he, ta- <laughs> he talks like Shaq, Tarrant, Shaq he talks like Terrence and Phillips. So when Shaq, he gets worked Shaq up, is, doesn't he look Shaq like Terrence and Phillips where his head's so going up and down Shaq, real high? Shaq is 46, so he is within six years of Barkley, which makes him a contemporary of Barkley. And Barkley is within seven of Ernie's, so they're contemporaries. The whole thing works. Don't ask questions. By the way, Shaq's By the fingers way, wait, wait. are like, are like full-on sausages at this point. That man, I know he was always big, but holy crap, man, he has gotten gigantic. Anyway. Stop turning yourself on. By the way, how much do you think that Michael Barkan hates, I just noticed this, that the number one Google image search result for him is a picture on Crossing Broad of him <laughs> go ahead right now everybody search michael barkan and hit images oh please tell me and this it, is the post i wrote please it, tell no me. it's the picture of Darn. him when he was interviewing paul holmgren and the fire alarm went off and barkan <laughs> p- pointed up and he went another goal and bar and holmgren did not laugh at all um but actually the post it links to is when uh, mike missinelli calls him a a untalented marginally talented circus barker <laughs> So oh, that's that, great. That is the number one Google image result. I just noticed that from Michael Barkan. That's awesome. Well, and, my computer's about to die. So okay, let me. Go, let me. Do, let do me, you want to do the, the my teams thing? Is that what I you want to talk finish? about really quick? Yeah, go ahead. We finish as she said. Um, I knew you were gonna. Yeah, but I feel like they. I, if you're gonna do these shows, embrace them a little bit more. I, it's the same thing they did with Bob. They're like, we want to do a morning show, but we can't. Our main show is Sports Rise, so we're going to put it on this other network. No one's going to ever watch, and it's not going to work. Well, it's not going to work because you're not really trying. You're, you're always, they're always doing these new things second fiddle um, rather than actually just trying to just make them work because like, there's some uh, misguided belief that things have to be the way they were, and you have to have a, a true studio post-game show. Like, fuck out of here. Um, my, my, uh, the My Teams app. So now I guess you can watch all the games in what used to be. There's the NBC Sports app, which, by the way, they've spent Which I like use, which two, I use and is, and is not great. Two full entire seasons promoting. Like last year, ad nauseum. Send us pictures of you watching the app. And then all of a sudden this year, it's like, well, we're going to take our local Philly app and rebrand it as My Teams and make it local. So now they got to re... <laughs> Everybody, they go out and got download this app last year. Oh, we got a new app that we you got to go download now, which, you know, is fine. The app itself, 
I haven't watched a game on it. The technology-wise looks like it works. And what you know, it looks like you swipe from team to team, and once you get in that team, you can see all their CSN-related news, and it's relatively clean-looking, and the game is right there if it's live. So I, I commend them on that. But the problem is, you know, and I don't want to get too in the weeds here because whatever, but, like, the navigation of this thing is just ridiculous ridiculous like go if you're using the app or don't have it get it open it up to scroll between teams and this isn't like a nitpick it's like the main way to navigate the 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 app you have to hold down on a little circle on the bottom left of the screen which is by the way further from most people's thumbs and then drag it side to side every other thing and each like window is a different team which is fine every other app that uses interface it's just a swipe or a tab at the bottom that you could just press. But no, they gotta be different and put this little ball that you have to press and then drag to another team to get in. And it's super confusing. And when you wanna hop around, like the muscle memory is just not there for people to do this. Second of all, when you read an article, if you're looking at this, every why is everything right justified? Like open up one of these stories. Oh my it's God. like the OCD that you always talk it, about. This isn't like, OCD. It's, it's yes, well, it is. who would design this? Who like, cares about right justified, Kyle? But R- Russ, you, you have a, you and the other well, OCD people. No, of this this isn't OCD. It's like you yes. have like 320 pixels worth of width to work with on a phone, and they just cut out the first 60 for no particular reason. And here's the kicker: it's not. I'm, I'm just trying to do like some some design guidance here. It's not even to like give space for that little ball that lives on the left side because I'm just noticing now that little ball that's a team that you have to scroll back and forth to switch between the windows still sits on top of the text. So they have like 60 pixels worth of blank space in the articles to work with on the left and they still didn't put that little ball there. It still is covering part of the text. Like it's, it just looks goofy. But Not worse, good. when you're reading a story on an iPhone or even an Android, I'm sure, Russ, how do you typically go back? If you click into something on, you probably are familiar with this. Anybody well, I use, who has I use a phone. my back button because I have because I have And Galaxy where is your back button typically located? It's next to the home, home button. Okay, so on Android, it's bottom left, right? Bottom right. So this thing, so I don't know, I'm not even going to talk to you because you're Android. On iOS, everything that goes back is the top left since the day the iPhone came out. And and I, I, don't, I can't speak for CSN, but 70% of our readers are using an iPhone. This isn't like some fringe thing. On an iPhone, everything that goes back is in the top left. Or with the new swipe gestures, swipe gestures, you swipe from the left. In the My Teams app, when you're reading a story, after you scroll past the bottom... The only way to go back is to hit an X in the top right, an X, not a back button, an X that closes the story, <laughs> and it's in the top right. But here's the <laughs> kicker. It doesn't even stay in the top right. So once it scrolls with the story. So once you hit the third paragraph, if you want to get out of that, you either have to pull that little ball that is already covering the text and switch to another team entirely, which you probably don't want to do, or you have to scroll all the way back up to the top to hit that X in the top right-hand side of the window. It's like they did like so many things possibly well with this. Like technically it kind of looks modern and nice, but the user interface is like the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And all the text is right justified. Or is just wasting like a third of the space on the left. I I don't like, I don't understand what they were doing. So the app might work fine, the video might work fine, which is ultimately what matters. But navigating this app is complete garbage. Like whoever, 
I don't know if they're just trying to be fancy, but like this is basic stuff. Like it'd be it'd be like building a car and putting the gas pedal and the brake pedal, not switching them left and right because that would just be too obvious. It would be like putting the gas pedal on the right, but then putting the brake pedal like in the middle to really fuck with you. Damn. So like your left foot hits it when you're resting your left foot. That's what, that's the equivalent of what they did here. And then putting the turn signal on the bottom on the door jam. Wow. You really don't like it. Okay. I get more fired up about this in the games, I swear Can to God. Can I tell you what I get fired up about? So coming back to your uh, your point about uh, not needing to wear a suit to cover a team, this is not a complaint, but it, it's going to sound like a complaint. Oh, this so, is going to be good. So I've, I, I've been going down to Flyers home games. you to talk about Dave Isaac's Blazers? So I've, I've been going down to uh, to cover the Flyers in a, uh, in a very strange turn of events. Uh I've been going down with Anthony to every game. I, I did miss Saturday's game. Um, but have been going down to Wells Fargo, going down, getting the quotes, putting stuff together, putting together, I think, somewhat coherent posts on the site. About By the way, I love how this just happened. At, at, for people listening, at no point, at no point, at some point, Anthony said, uh, you said to me, uh, Anthony got me and him credentials. That was the entire extent of our online conversation. At no point did Russ say to me, I'm going to go and be your second beat writer for the Flyers. Didn't ask how we were going to do it. Didn't ask the logistics or compensation or anything. Just after game one, I'm like, oh, Russ is covering the Flyers tonight, and we're doing game stories and sidebar stories from Flyers games. And that was the entire extent of it. Russ is now a Flyers beat reporter. There you go. That's it. Isn't that great? You just started doing it. I did. It was fun. We still haven't talked about it. It's the most we've talked about. I guess we should talk about it at some point. But, yeah, (laughs) so so we're down there, and – the first day, I, I show up, right? It, it was like... It was, it was this when you took a picture of your credential and tweeted no, 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 it? And yeah. Did so, anyone okay. from Flyers whoa, 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 PR whoa, whoa, come and whoa, whoa. slap you on the head for doing no, that? No, no. So... Because um, you realize people so, can now Photoshop so could, it and you know, show whatever. up, right? So, um, so I'm t- well, it's not a very intricate design. So I, I think I took it down anyway. Um, All uh, the more God. reason why what's, it's very easy to Photoshop. What was I going to say? Okay. So I, I'm down there, and uh, it was like a dress-down day at work. So I, I show up in jeans. Which is not a big deal, right? I'm not thinking it's a big deal. I say to Anthony, hey, what do you usually wear? He's like, oh, I, I typically wear jeans. He And then, like, I show up, he's wearing a button-down shirt and a sweater. That's not bad. Like, I, I think that's that's within reason. I walk into the media or the media dinner. Everybody's in a full suit. Like, three-piece suits. Some guys have a three-piece suit. Some guys rocking the, the matching blazer, pants, button-down shirt, tie. I'm like, why are Those we... Those guys are why, dipshits. I'm like, I'm like, why are we dressed like Point this? Point blank. Like, Why? You They're go up to so let me let me walk the, people through let me let me walk people through like what what this looks like. You get to Wells Fargo Center, maybe you go do the media thing. You get on a large elevator, you go up to the balcony, which is it's nice to set up. I've enjoyed everything. The Flyers organization, everybody's been great. Like everybody's been fantastic. Very easy How good to contact. Is the popcorn? Popcorn's very good. They have a nice popcorn's little candy great. bar. There's like this the soda thing. I drink a lot of coffee when I'm there. Anyway. You get into press row. You're up in the balcony. Nobody sees you except the other beat guys, right? At the end of the game, you go down the elevator. You go down and interview the players in the locker room. You go to Hackstall's press conference. You go back up the elevator. You start typing your story. That's it. There's no interaction with fans. There's no interaction with really anybody else. And all these guys are out there wearing suits. I'm like, holy crap. So I wore khakis to the next game because I'm like, well, I don't want to feel like a total schlub. But the, it's, I, I don't get it. I don't understand why, why everybody's wearing a suit. I don't get it. Anthony doesn't, which is fine. So it's like me and him, we're like slumming it together. Because Anthony's uh, with, not a dipshit. Well, and, and it's just funny because like you get into these locker rooms and like, so I, I went in after uh, the Golden Knights game, I went in and interviewed Marc-Andre Fleury because I wanted to kind of take that angle of Fleury coming back to a, a city that he had 
you know, previous rivalries with and everything and, and kind of break that down. And the Golden Knights, um, uh, traveling reporters, to their credit, were not dressed in, in suits. So I don't know if it's just a Philly thing. Like, I, I'm going to actually be interested to see as the season goes on if this is just a Philly thing or if this is like a hockey-wide thing. But it, that, that to me was kind of interesting. Like, I don't think you need to wear a suit to go get a quote. And honestly, I think that like the stuff that Anthony puts out for the site is fantastic. He's not doing that in a suit. I think the thing that I did about Jordan Wheel, especially because we interviewed him last month and kind of tied this whole thing together, like the guy was a healthy scratch in three of the first five games. He goes out in the sixth game and manages to, uh, you know, win the game. Essentially, he scores a goal in regulation. Then he he wins in the shootout. He makes the, the game winning goal in the shootout. Like I thought that thing was put together pretty well. I'm not wearing a suit. I don't know. It's, it's just like a small pet peeve. I think everybody so far has been very nice. Like, the whole thing's been good. I just don't understand it. And and honestly, it's not like a whole lot of young guys are covering the team. Uh, there, I think, are two female reporters that I've seen so far. They seem to be, like, dressed to the nines. But, like, uh, other than that, like, I, I don't know. Maybe I, I, Anthony and I are just like odd birds. I don't know. There is nothing I hate more than the unnecessary suit. There are so many people in sports, even just watch on TV, like guys who, you know, work for the team, Part of it, you know, I get why like the PR guys wear a suit. I'm not, I'm not gonna knock that. But there are so many guys, you know, like low level team employees, you know, who are running the stats uh, back and forth from the press box who are in suits, right? There's so many, you know, the guy who handles the arena technical stuff, you know, there at the head. If you're wearing a headset and, and a suit, like you don't you, you don't need a suit like your, your job is inherently like hands-on you don't need a suit if you're someone who has a headset to do your job you don't need a suit unless you're in the secret service right i feel like yep. so i don't trust most people in suits unless you're a banker or someone who is you know giving speech you know i don't even there's so few instances you, don't, where you don't trust guys in suits. i get it i get actually it. where i don't trust anybody in a suit honest to god like i just don't tr i instinctively don't trust you if you ever see someone in a suit on a saturday question them i'm yeah, dead be serious be very be very afraid you should be like why are you wearing a suit on a saturday unless you're going to a wedding right <laughs> which is possible if you ever see a guy like walking around the city on a in a saturday on a suit, like your first time must be well wait a minute this, this guy's a good job okay but you know what? if you're a lawyer you're not in court that day right if you're a doctor you don't wear a suit like there's so few reasons why you should be wearing a suit if you so to begin with let alone if you have one on a saturday but those guys yeah. in the press box those flyers guys because probably tim panaccio used to do and they all want to be like tim panaccio and they they all get dressed the night well, whatever i didn't want th this isn't meant to become like the this. stupidest thing in Whoa. sports it's not to and be, the, meant to the become this, like, slanderous thing that, i just don't know the, i don't understand the, it i want to be slanderous there are two, the, there are two the things economy, i don't understand it's it's the suits and the guys who ask the same question to wait, every single player who becomes available i'm not done on the clothes that drives the economy between that and uh ruben frank be like so over the top slovenly like why can't any of these guys just dress normally like just wear like normal clothes you don't need a suit you're not there to impress anybody you look like a dipshit especially covering the fly eagles maybe like it's once a week it's a big event fine i think it's ridiculous but fine guys who are doing it for every game for the for the sixers and eagles like i don't think sixers guys really do this i don't you know maybe some of them i love to ask kevin but i don't know Okay. Kevin certainly doesn't. I mean, he probably yeah. wears West Virginia hat down there. In fact, I've seen him <laughs> next to Brett Brown with his West Virginia hat. But the guys right. who, yeah, I, I don't. Okay, you're you're. It's it's like that. It's that. And, and asking, Dave Isaac, it's, it's, like trying to look a, like a sixty year old man. 
Well, okay. Sorry. So I, I'm not trying just to like pick fights for you. People but. asking the same question to like six guys who are available in the locker room, and then like asking the same question to Hackstall. Like, I just don't get it. I I don't know what exactly you expect to get out of it. I think we can all kind of predict what's going to happen, but whatever. We'll see. I mean, it's a long season. I've enjoyed it so far. I'm looking forward to continuing to uh, to provide extra coverage on the Flyers, and hopefully they'll <laughs> they'll start to turn around their fortunes. But there we are. By the way, Clips are up eight with four and a half minutes to go. Go Clippers. Okay, let's watch the end of this. Uh, all right. Uh, go check out the other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, including Cross Up of Philly's podcast, Know the Goalie, uh, which will be dropping later this week with uh, me and Anthony. Uh, Crossing Broad FC, and it's always soccer in Philadelphia as the Union. They lost today to the New York Red Bull and complained about the uh, field conditions because high school games were played there at Talon Energy Stadium. Whatever. It didn't affect the Red Bulls. They ended up winning on a controversial VAR, var call. Whatever. Um, they're going to be going to the playoffs soon, so check out It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia for that. For Kyle. At Crossing Broad, I'm Russ. At Joy on Broad, thanks for listening. We'll be back later this week.